Welcome to Seemingly Ordinary. It's a podcast where I interview people who on the surface may appear to be totally ordinary, but underneath the surface, they have amazing things going on. I am back with Reed Wilkinson. Reed graduated from St. James Academy in 2018. In a previous episode, we discussed some very deep books. I really recommend that you listen to that episode. Now Reed is getting ready for law school. He's done a lot of exciting reading about our rights as Americans. So today, we're actually going to have a wide-ranging conversation about a lot of ideas and probably hear some stories along the way. So note, Reed is bright and well-read, but he's not a lawyer yet. And I'm not a lawyer, but I think this conversation is going to be very interesting. Hey, Reed. Hey, how are you? I'm awesome. It's great um, to be back. It, it's, it's great to have you here. So tell me a little bit about yourself. I know you're writing a book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm writing a book about um, like American rights and what we have under the Bill of Rights. It was actually inspired because I went with uh, my girlfriend on a trip to Nashville a few weeks ago. Okay. And on the drive home, we were listening to um, a podcast called The Cold Case Files. And there was a case about this young boy who was 14 who got accused of a murder. And I can go into that in a minute. I actually yeah. got the introduction of my book. Okay. Um, and how all of his rights were essentially not given to him. And, you know, that really irritated me because I, I said to myself, he needs to know what he can and can't do in the mm. legal system. And so I, I had written an outline my senior year of high school of a book similar to that. Okay. And I found the document on my email, so I revisited it, and I started writing, and I haven't been writing, and I've already finished like 40 pages of it. Wow. Um, which equivalates to about 95 pages if you're going to convert it to you know, a book. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm almost halfway done with that right now, and I'm really excited to see what, how it ends up. Wow. Well, you did bring the introduction, and I was hoping you could read the introduction. For sure. Or first chapter, whatever the case may be. For sure. Yeah, so the book is called Don't Tread on Me, A Guide to Understanding Your Rights as an American Citizen. Introduction. It was early in the morning on Wednesday, January 21st, 1998, in Escondido, California, when 12-year-old Stephanie Crow's bedside alarm clock began ringing at 8 o'clock a.m., alerting her that it was time for her to wake up for her school day. As per Stephanie's usual habits, her alarm clock had continued to ring, as she was notorious in her household for allowing it to do so. Waking up, her sleeping grandmother in the next room, and not wanting her to be late for school, Stephanie's grandmother opened her granddaughter's door to wake her up, where she saw a shocking sight. Stephanie, unconscious, on the floor of her room in a puddle of her own blood. Petrified, her grandmother immediately began to call out for help and for other members inside the household. There were Stephanie's parents, as well as her 14-year-old brother, Michael. Both of Stephanie's parents called 911 immediately after hearing the shrieking produced by the old woman, and soon after, medical personnel pronounced her dead, with the cause of death being from eight stab wounds to her abdomen. It was at this moment that police began to understand that this was now a homicide case. Responding officers began searching for clues that would lead to some knowledge of how this homicide was carried out, finding no signs of forced entry into the Crow household. Although Stephanie's bedside window was seen to have been unlocked, the screen inside of the window was still fully intact, still having dust settled on the rims of its edges. The murderer had not come in through the window. No knives or other sharp weapons were also found in the surrounding area outside of Stephanie's window or inside the Crow household, as well as any signs or struggle of trails or trails of blood, excuse me. The only real evidence of entry or escape in the house lie the unlocked garage door of the household. Left daunted by the lack of physical evidence, responding officers concluded that the homicide must have been committed by one of four people, Stephanie's parents, her grandmother, or her older brother, Michael. 
As soon as the homicide had been reported to the local news, panic began to ensue across the city of Escondido, leaving many people with questions about their own personal safety and how they too could be killed next. Facing this intense pressure from the people of their city to hold a sense of security within their city borders, police began to seek out a main suspect to bring into custody to ease the tension in their city left behind from the homicide. It was at this moment that police began to single-handedly and singly, I'm sorry, single out and hold steady to one suspect being the culprit for the murder of Stephanie Crow, her 14-year-old brother, Michael. Michael's alibi was that he was sleeping during the time at which the officers determined the murder had taken place, somewhere between 11 o'clock p.m. the previous night and 2 o'clock a.m. the same morning. Responding officers, however, claimed to have seen Michael acting, quote, distant and preoccupied, end quote, upon the discovery of his sister's lifeless body, while the rest of the family was in a state of complete shock. Michael was then promptly separated from his parents and put into a juvenile detention center, where soon after he was interrogated by police officers who wanted a confession from him. Their only problem, Michael did not commit the murder. Police interrogated Michael alone on multiple occasions, separate from his parents, with no legal representation at his disposal to help him understand his rights as being an accused person of crime. During these numerous attempts at a false confession, police began to openly lie to him about evidence they had found of a blood trail leading to his room, as well as records showing Michael failing a, quote, truth verification device, end quote. <laughs> there also were documented to be making empty promises to Michael, telling him that they would go easy on him if he just confessed to killing his sister, even though they had no authority on how the legal system would handle him. He fought through tears of both anger and distress, telling the officers he did not kill his sister and that he loved her. And if he were to tell a story about how he supposedly did it, it would be a complete and utter lie. The officer's response? Then tell us a story. After an intense six-hour interrogation with police, as well as having been denied the station in order for him to sleep, Michael confessed to the murder of his 12-year-old sister, Stephanie Crow. Police even made Michael write a letter forcefully to his deceased sister, apologizing for having committed this heinous act, act in attempting to get a nail in the coffin for his purported actions. At that moment, these officers turned their backs on the age-old claim of suspects being innocent until proven guilty. Michael was now guilty until he was able to be proven innocent. Soon after, police began questioning two more young men who they believed to be in connection with Stephanie's murder, one Joshua Treadway and Aaron Hoiser, both 15-year-old friends of Michael's. Joshua was interrogated by the same police who performed Michael's interrogation, using the same methods as before, separated from his parents, being told blatant lies and given empty promises, and not giving him the knowledge that he had the constitutional rights to receive legal representation as well as the right to remain silent. This interrogation was also extremely long, being 10 hours, as they questioned him continuously in an attempt to break down his rapport by not allowing him to leave, to get sleep, or any other breaks aside from using the restroom. Joshua did not confess to anything, despite the officer's blatant lies of their knowledge of the murder weapon and how it connected with him. He was allowed to leave that night at the officer's discretion. However, he was brought back in again two weeks later, where another 11-hour interrogation took place. It was here that Joshua broke down, and similar to Michael, gave the officers exactly what they wanted from the beginning, a confession, albeit false. Joshua was then promptly arrested, only being read his rights well after confessing to a crime which he did not commit or have any involvement in. Aaron Hoiser was also arrested and questioned by officers, however, maintaining his innocence through it all. He did, however, give the officers a detailed description of how he believed the crime could have theoretically been carried out, allowing the officers to believe he was involved in the planning of the crime, but may not have been involved in actually carrying out the crime. Three days later, Michael Crow, Joshua Treadway, and Aaron Hoiser were all charged with first-degree murder, as well as conspiracy to commit murder, and were all to be tried within adults in the legal system. Michael and his friend's story does have a happy ending, however, as just days before Joshua Treadway's trial was set to begin in 1999, 
Subsequent DNA testing found Stephanie Crow's blood on the shirt of a mentally ill man, one Richard Tweet. Tweet had been reported to the local police the same night of Stephanie's murder to have been lurking around the Crow's neighborhood, peeking in windows, knocking on doors, and for reasons that are still not known to this day. Tweet was a diagnosed schizophrenic and was notorious for wandering the streets of Escondido late at night and causing disturbances within neighborhoods. Tweet was written off as a suspect, however, in Stephanie's murder by officers involved in the case, as police had already predetermined that Michael was the culprit and so refused to venture forth into other possible suspects. Because of these new findings, the charges brought against all three of these young men were dismissed without prejudice. The story of Michael Crow and his friends Joshua and Aaron and how they were coerced into admitting the murder of Stephanie Crow is just one of numerous examples where an individual who was not aware of the rights in which they possessed could have easily allowed their story to have taken a different path. Granted, Michael and his friends were only 14 and 15 at the time of the interrogations and did not know to ask for things such as legal representation or to assert their Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. This example only serves to outline the thesis I intend to touch upon in this book. American citizens have a duty to understand, appreciate, and to invoke their inalienable rights in order to prevent their life, their liberty, or property from being put in jeopardy by any government official. In the early stages of our democracy, the Founding Fathers had fought a tough revolution against the tyrannical British monarchy, hell-bent on keeping their citizens of the 13 American colonies oppressed in order to benefit the British crown as a whole. The framers of the Constitution all knew of the struggles endured by the people under the British and so instilled specific rights within our legal system to limit the amount of encroachment into one's life by the national government. It is often believed that our rights against self-incrimination, the right to bear arms, the freedom of religion, press, and assembly, to name a few, are all given to us by our government. However, this could not be further from the truth. As stated in the Declaration of Independence by Thomas Jefferson, these rights pre-exist our government, meaning our government exists not to give us our rights, but rather government exists to protect them at all costs. Sadly, however, many Americans today are completely unaware of their constitutional rights, protecting them from any overreaching of government officials, and as a result, have suffered dire consequences similar to Michael. In this book, I intend to outline the historical significance of each constitutional right, both explicit and non, and proceed to outline its meaning within the American legal system, as well as how it can be applied to everyday situations, ranging from police interrogations to menial traffic violations. I am in no way an expert scholar on the subject of the law within the United States, and I am in no way an attorney, and this book does not serve as legal advice in any way, shape, or form. I only intend to present my research to you and help you gain a better understanding of how to assert your rights. These rights have far too often been neglected to be understood, leaving too many Americans ignorant about what they can and cannot do in everyday situations, and this growing trend must cease before it is too late. It is my hope that upon completion of this book, you, the reader, can gain a better understanding of what rights you possess under the American legal system as well as how to properly apply them when faced with situations for individuals who threaten that liberty. Holy cow, that is really, really good. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, I just want to say two things on the writing style. First, the, uh, the retelling of the initial story was just gripping, hmm. just absolutely gripping. I just, sentence by sentence, you're a very polished writer, but more importantly, just the plot just really moves forward quickly, and it's just very, very absorbing. Thank you. Uh, and then that. the second thing is, is that then when you shift it into, I guess, more of the analytical, um, and you know, just kind of the analysis of what had happened, I, I thought, well, that's rock solid. Mm -hmm. I, you just, your arguments are very, very straightforward and cogent, and I just really appreciate that. Well, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's really tops. Um, so, just a few questions about the story. So, did they prove then that the mentally ill man killed? The girl? Yes, so they didn't actually ever figure out how he got into the house, but okay. as outlined in the introduction, the unlocked garage door was how they think he got in, and, and somehow he killed her. 
uh, because her window wasn't open, there was uh -huh. dust settled. Uh -huh. um, so they think it was him. They did find, there was the whole, I think, piece of evidence that really locked Tweet into the murder okay. was his shirt. And there okay. was a bunch of Stephanie's blood on the shirt. There was a bunch of his blood on the shirt. Okay. And there's actually uh, court cases that you can go back in on, on Wikipedia in case, uh, Cold Case Files podcast where the police were so adamant about how it was, it had to have been the kid. It couldn't have mm. been Tweet because Tweet was in jail that night. Okay. There was, there, he stepped in blood and that's how the blood got on there or he found the blood in the dumpster and it, it, it will really make you mad if you listen to it. It's <laughs> yeah. crazy how they just, they assumed it was this 14-year-old kid. Well, and, and why, I guess, would be, do we know the police motive for doing that? Well, uh, I, I kind of touched upon it. I may go back and edit that a little bit okay. more so it's more, um, you know, up in your face. Uh -huh. It was, uh, they, they uh, had a lot of people coming to them. Okay. Really scared about their security. Okay. And they're like, well, we don't know if it can happen again. Like, you need to bring this killer in. And so there was a lot of pressure. Okay, to um, solve it quickly. Yeah. That's kind of what I was thinking and maybe just a little bit worried about. I just think, uh, I don't know, sometimes people want clarity in a situation and they would prefer false clarity <laughs> versus no clarity. You're right. Which, sure. which that's, I guess that's just unfortunate about human beings. Um, we just maybe have to get to a conclusion now, whether or not we have enough information to really prove it one way or another. I think you're right. Yeah, it's it was really unfortunate. I think you know Michael's now well over thirty. Okay. Um, and he always you know talks about it on podcasts and reflects about it to my knowledge. Okay. Um, and it's just how he was just very disappointed with how they just honed in on him and his friends and it right. was really mainly him that they honed in on and right. it was really unfortunate to see how they just ruined his life yeah know, I mean life. okay how has his life recovered you since know, I then I haven't really looked into him okay. as much as I really want to okay um, to my knowledge I think he's doing well I really okay Okay. Noticed, something for us to look into at a later point. For sure. Okay. There's always okay. something new to learn. <laughs> what is what is there else about the story that just really jumps out at you, or what's what's something you really want to emphasize? More people need to know their rights when being interrogated by police or being an accused person of a crime. Okay. That's that's the whole point of the fourth through the eighth amendments of the Constitution is they're called the rights of the accused. Okay. You get a fair and speedy trial. You get the right to an attorney. You have the right to you know, against self-incrimination, which just means you can stay silent. Um, but people don't know how to, like, put those into practice. And mm -hmm. so they often either put them into practice in the wrong way. Okay. And they assert rights that they don't have in a given moment, or they just get scared. Okay. They just do what the people tell them. And I'm, I'm in no way, I want to preface this. Yeah. I'm in no way against law enforcement. I'm right. I'm for law right, enforcement. Right, right, right. Yeah. I just think that there are bad apples in the system. Yeah. Just like the officers who interrogated Michael. Um, and, you know, we as Americans are susceptible to that every single day we walk out the door, not just from them, right. but by government officials, by our employers, by our peers. And that's something that the book also touches on is, you know, when you're talking about free speech, you know, it's not just government that tells you to stop. It can be your employer who that's right you for, you know, saying something that they don't like, or it can be a religious thing where you close your door to pray and they think you're taking time away from them and so they fire you, that's against your religious right to yeah. practice how you feel. Well, this is kind of where I wanted to go with things. I kind of wanted to go through uh, most, well, not most, but a bunch of the amendments to the Constitution and I just thought we'd start with number one Perfect. and kind of take things from there. So actually, before I ask that, I forgot. I, I think it might be self-explanatory after what you just said, but why do you want to be a lawyer? 
You know, I I think you asked me that question in the first one, but I never okay. answered it. So I'm okay. glad, thank you for okay. asking me again. Okay. Um, when I was, you know, 16, uh-huh. I went to Washington, D.C. with my parents, and I, I really didn't know what I wanted to, to do with my life. I was going into my junior year. I had just injured my back, um, and I really didn't know what to do, and I was kind of freaking out, but then we went to D.C., and I walked up into the National Archives and saw the Constitution and was just, it was just like jaw-dropping. Kind of like an awe situation. It was really weird. It's really hard to explain, but at that moment, I was like, this is really cool. So I went home and I read the the Constitution. I read the Federalist Papers by James Madison. Okay. I read this other one called, um, it's like a Constitution intro book for kids. You read all these when you were about 17 or 16? 16, 17 in about a three-month time, and um, I was just ripped immediately I was okay like, this is so cool america like i love being an american I love yeah the we have yeah and i joined the debate team okay ish so, yeah and one uh, of the teachers here one of the teachers or yeah i guess former teacher, former right? teacher she went to another school that's sad yeah it is it is yeah she's fantastic mm-hmm. but anyway and so i spoke with her about um because i know i think one of her sons is an attorney okay and uh I spoke with her about it, and she talked to me about it. She's like, "Hey, you should join the debate team if you really want to know how to learn how to think critically." Yes, because that's an important skill. Yes, you know, me not knowing anything, I was like, "Okay, cool." Okay, so I joined uh, my first year, and you know, I learned so much from her about you know looking at the you know outside of the mm-hmm. box. Um, okay, so I think the example she gave us was she's like, "If you have a hole that's two feet by four feet, how much dirt is in that hole?" And most okay. people will go to be like, oh, you got to measure the math and everything. But it's right. like, no, it's a hole, so there's no dirt. Right, right, it's right. stupid little... Yeah, it's, but it's good, though. Yeah. I think I got tripped up on that when I was a teenager. People are like, yeah, though, it's three feet by three feet by three feet. So then you, do, you take three times three times three, you get 27. Then you think you're so smart. 27 cubic feet. Yeah. And they're like, it's a hole. And then you're like... Okay, so it's got air in it, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's what I, I said too when I first heard. I was like really confused, and then, you know, after that, I started reading more, and I kind of stopped reading um, until recently, like uh-huh. we talked about. Yeah. Um, but I just started taking classes at, at Johnson County Community College. Okay. About introduction to criminal law and business law and contract law, and I was like, this is just so cool. And I started to realize that. You know, this is what I want to do with my life is I want to, you know, dedicate my life to the study of law and not just practicing law, but like being you know, a possible senator. And I really do mean this when I say this, like I really do want to run, run for president one day. Okay, and okay. Do that because I think that politics today is just so corrupt all around and I think that I can really make a difference with yeah. ideas. And I think that first I have to help people at a lower level. And I think I can do that through the study of law. Yeah. So not only is it super interesting to me, but I can help a lot of people like sooner. And then as I get older and learn more, and when I feel ready, go to that part of my life. Well, I, I do know a tremendous number of presidents have been lawyers. It is good training. Uh, gosh, what else have they done? We've had a few actors. We've had some military generals. So maybe you can do all three of those, and then, then you'd be set. You yeah. know? Well, there you go. Yeah, start going out for place, join the military, and study law, and then you'll have the perfect resume for president. There you go. As I'll far like as I know. Orange tan too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's what we need. Okay, so um, let's kind of get into the First Amendment. Um, why do you think it's first? 
why is it essential? Uh, what does it mean to you? Just take it in any direction you want to take it. I think I actually wrote that in my in my book. But okay. You know, there's a reason it was put first. Yes. Because you know what they James Madison wrote in the Constitution, what Thomas Jefferson wrote in the Declaration was these truths are self-evident that nobody can infringe upon them. They pre-exist government. Yes. And like I said in, in the introduction, government exists not to give us our rights, but to protect them. Yes. And to make sure that they can't be infringed upon. Yeah. And so speech, freedom uh, of religion, freedom of assembly. assembly, freedom of the press yes. are all very important pillars of a free and intellectually, I guess for a lack of a better word, like Intellectually in, honest. Intellectually strong and honest, yeah. Right. Um, right, like because, because if you can't get at the truth of things, well, then lies are going to triumph in certain situations and environments. And then I always feel like every bad thing in life starts with dishonesty. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that the very first thing that goes wrong in any given situation is a lie. Mm -hmm. uh, like, I don't know, say a murder case. I'm pretty convinced most of the time that there were lies that led up to that. Uh, it, it just seems to me like that's always your starting point of, of badness. Maybe I'm wrong about that. No, but it, it sounds really. It sounds good. profound to yeah. me. I think it's either 99% true or it's 100% true. That's my take on it. So you're it's, very black and white on issues, it sounds like. Well, I, I don't want to be entirely black and white on issues, but I, I'm pretty black and white on the freedom of speech aspect. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like we need freedom of speech roughly 99.999% of the time. Um, but the only reason I don't say 100% is because maybe very few things are 100%. There's got to be an exception where free speech is bad, but I can't think of it. I yeah. can't because let's say you're at a party and there's this guy and he's saying all these obnoxious things and everybody hates him. Mm -hmm. I think good. We've just achieved clarity. Yep. Everybody knows uh, who this guy is and what he stands for. So, I mean, people are like, oh, that's so obnoxious. He shouldn't be talking that way. My feeling is he should talk more that way. We should clarify for everybody what this dude is all about. Right. So that's, that's what I think. They always say, like, sunlight is the best disinfectant. I, I just believe that with all my heart. Yeah, it, I think that also opens you up to, like, differing minds as well. Yes. I, yeah, what if I'm wrong? Exactly. What if you're right? What if you're allowed to speak? Yeah, that then, dialogue is very important. You know, yes. Like you have people of you know, different religions, for an example, like uh -huh. if you practice Islam or you uh -huh. practice Christianity, yeah. talking to each other uh -huh. is so essential yeah. that people just don't do it because they don't want to offend somebody or they just don't want to come off as like a jerk. And I think you said it best when it's like, you got to take the good with the bad. That's right. You, you have to, you know, some besides slurs in uh -huh. any kind of way. Uh-huh. You know, if we get rid of freedom of speech uh, because of hate speech, that's right. like so popular in today's society. Right, right. If I look at you, and I made this you know distinction with my my brother the other day. And I'm uh -huh. like, you know what? I don't like those shoes because I don't like the color black. Okay. You take offense to that. Yeah. That's considered hate speech. Yeah. But you know, so it's it's hard to draw that line between free speech and hate speech if you uh -huh. get rid of all uh -huh. of speech. If that makes sense. Yeah, I I don't know, like. Uh... I'm super, I'm super militant about the free speech idea just because in every oppressive society, whether you're talking about, say, the Soviet Union or any communist society, that's the first thing that has to go is freedom of speech. Freedom of speech becomes 
gone because people wound up, wind up getting hauled off to gulags and prisons and places like that. N Nazis, of course, in Germany were not going to allow any kind of freedom of speech. It just, it just has to go. That's the first thing that has to go. 1984, George Orwell has the whole notion of thought crime. You, you couldn't even think a certain way. I, they create a new word. It's one word, thought crime. They merge those two words into one word. Um, to me, this is the problem. I mean, just the thing is, if, if you speak and if I speak and if I'm wrong, if you're right, I think that eventually comes out. And so then that helps the person who's wrong figure out how to be right. And then if it's in politics, oftentimes, okay, you might fool some of the people some of the time, as Abraham Lincoln said. What was that quote? You can fool some of the people some of the time. Maybe you can even fool all of the people some of the time. But you can't fool all of the people all of the time. Huh. I'm pretty. That's pretty close to the exact quote. And so, like so yeah. So you can't fool all the people all the time. Sooner or later, the truth is going to come out. Mm -hmm. And then when it does, then maybe the other party wins. Mm -hmm. That's how it's supposed to work. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's, I think it was Voltaire who was also like, you know, I may not like what you say, but I'm yes. going to the death. You're right to say it. Yes. And it's like what you were saying, which is like, yes. you know, that that needs to happen. Yeah. You know, I have a lot of people who I talk to every single day okay. where they just don't agree with what I say or uh -huh. I don't agree with what they say. Uh -huh. But like, thank God for this. They're both right. open to have a conversation about it right. and to speak our differing ideals and opinions. Yes. Um, and so we, we, we both walk away from that conversation knowing more about the other side uh -huh. and coming to, you know, coming in the middle more. Like I was talking to my girlfriend about uh, different issues that she and I okay. had. Not issues we had, but uh, differing opinions. Like... You know, big picture big, things, big like picture societal things. questions. Yes, like a, not a not like read and girlfriend questions. No. Societal questions. No, yeah, we're <laughs> not an argument we had. This okay. was uh, just a thing that was going on. Uh huh. And I said I disagree with that, and she said, "Okay, well, here's why I agree with it." Okay. And we talked, and then I came back the next day, and I was like, "You know what? I think you're right. You know, I'm okay. really glad we had that conversation because yeah. you, the way you put it, makes a lot of sense." Yes. And so, you know, again, she's super smart. And she was just able, not to convince me, but just to be like, hey, no, this is why I believe this. And I said, you know what? You're right. Okay. I really appreciate the way that she articulated it to me. And she, you know, wasn't mean about it. She right. was just like, no, like, this is why, this is this why. And I said, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, that's, sure. that's how it's supposed to work. Exactly. That's how it's supposed to work. Because I think even the most obstinate, uh, you know, black and white, never changes his mind or never changes her mind person, if confronted with enough facts and logic, the whole premise behind freedom of speech is, is that most people are reasonable, mm -hmm. and that if most people see facts and logic for something or, or just a good reason, they will change their mind, mm -hmm. or they will modify their position. And I do believe most people are good, and most people are reasonable, and that's why I believe in freedom of speech. Do you also subscribe to the idea that if you are 15 and you believe a certain way, and you're 50 and you believe the same way that you haven't grown as a person? Uh, I think it's impossible to change your mind on absolutely everything. So yeah. all the things that I believed when I was 15, I'm sure that I still believe some of them when I'm 25, 35, 45, 55, 95. Mm -hmm. Some of it's not terribly controversial. My dad liked baseball when he was three, <laughs> and he's 86 and he still likes baseball. Yeah. So in psychology, people will say that personality is the ultimate addiction. 
you know, that is more addictive than crack or more addictive than alcohol because you can give up alcohol and crack. But your basic personality, you know, for example, uh, just something about seeing the Constitution just really hits you. And then you started reading all these books. And that's just amazing to me because that's kind of like, hey, that was fundamentally a part of you. And it got woken up. And then once it was there, then it just blossomed and, and just shot up like a like just a plant, you know? And it's weird because like I I can't really give you like a real reason why I like I, I think it's so interesting. It's yeah. hard to because yeah. it's just something ever since that moment, it's just what I, I know I wanted to do with my life. And so it's hard to yeah, to pinpoint the reason. Yeah. Well, it's, well, okay, that's true with a lot of people. I like to write fiction, and my mom was a librarian, and she read a lot of stories to me. So that sounds like a good explanation to me. But I don't really know if that's why I like that stuff. I don't know if it was, the, I mean, to me, that's a good explanation. Yeah. But I, just from the psychology standpoint, who knows if that's really accurate. I feel like there's like millions of things that go into our decisions that we don't even know. That's right. Day, that's so right. Yeah. But yeah, I, that's, I that's kind of the iceberg theory of personality. Uh, so we'll just stray off into psychology for a little bit. But Freud had this idea that your personality is like an iceberg. And maybe at the most, 10% of it is above water. Mm. And that's your rational mind. And that's you understanding why you think why you do. Mm. And then the other 90% is below the water. That's your subconscious mind. You know, so I can ask you, why do you like the law? Well, 90% of, of you is underwater. And so you're going to be like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I really hard, don't yeah, know. It, you're right. It's hard to articulate that. You know, yeah. I, I've been trying to get into Freud more. Actually, yeah. Recently, since okay. We just okay. I'm going to start reading some Freud. He sounds super interesting. I just got... Uh, on Good and Evil by Nietzsche. Oh, okay. I'm really excited to okay. read that because it's only like 200 pages. Yeah. And just be able to read that super fast. Yeah, no kidding. Um, no kidding. Okay, so back to First Amendment. Mm -hmm. I feel like maybe we've discussed freedom of speech quite a bit. We can do more of that if you want. But other parts of that amendment are freedom of religion, freedom of assembly, um, and freedom of the press. Mm -hmm. Do you want to speak about any of those? Sure, yeah. Um, I think freedom of religion is arguably one of the most important things. Like I, I outlined in my book that Thomas Jefferson was a, a devout theist. Yes. And he believed in a God, but he, beyond that, there's no connection to the earth. Yes. He just created the earth and that was it. Yeah. And people can come to their own rational conclusions and come to him through their own good deeds. And he was also a follower of like the Enlightenment movement. And so yes. that was like a big thing in the Enlightenment. It was like, there is a God, but does he really have anything to do with the earth? And so- Right. I he, think my understanding of deism is, is they believed there is a God, God is good. We don't know too much else about God. Let's talk about something else. You're right. I think that's kind of your typical deist. Yeah, I, de I meant deist, not theist. My, yeah, my deist mistake. with a D. Yep. Yeah. And uh, he was so against a lot of the Christian rituals and a lot of the Christian right. prayers, but he still fought for that because yes. he thought he knew that you know people need to come to their own conclusions, especially yes. with religion. And there was a period of time in 1723, I believe. Okay where the king at the time for Great okay. Britain uh, passed acts that essentially said, like, you have to acknowledge the king of Britain as, as the head of the church, mm. and you have to only be a Christian. And I'm trying to put this into words in the, in the most possible, but that stuck all the way through until yeah. the American Revolution. And so yeah. people who fought, the framers and the founding fathers, had to live through that. Right. They weren't able to pray to who they wanted to pray right. to. And it's kind of going back to that idea of Voltaire's like I, I may not believe what you believe but I'm going to defend it to death you're right to believe it 
Right. Um, I mean, that's kind of bad when church and state merge because, okay, so religion is going to dictate what you should do with your conscience and you're supposed to believe in various precepts. For example, if you're Christian, the Ten Commandments. And then Islam is going to have a set of statements that you have to adhere to. And every other religion is going to do the same. Well, if the state takes over a religion, well, now it's not just a sin when you think the wrong thing. It's a crime. Mm -hmm. So now we can lock you up yep. for thinking the wrong thing. The thought police. Yeah, the thought police. <laughs> We're back to the thought police. Oh, and I think this is why freedom of religion is so important to Jefferson, because he understands that it's tied to freedom of conscience. You're right, 100%. And you know, going back to that freedom of speech thing, you know, having that dialogue can open up the ability for you to not, you know, not convert to other religions, but to uh -huh. see it from a different point of view. Yeah. And, you know, again, like I go into the history of why it's so important and like separates, sorry, uh, separation of church and state yes. is so important because it's like, you know, us as Catholics, yes. um, you know, let's say President Biden tomorrow says you all have to be Buddhists tomorrow, uh -huh. you know, uh -huh. I, I would fight against that. Because right. to me, my faith is the most important thing in my life. Right. And I, I can't imagine living under an autocracy or any kind of authoritarianship that told me I couldn't pray to the God that I subscribe to. Right. And but, I mean, they were out there. Stalin and the Soviet Union essentially banned religion. <clears throat> and then he, after about 20 years, brought it back because they were in World War II. And his feeling was, okay, so these people are supposed to be fighting for me, and they don't like me, and so he called it the great patriotic war, you're fighting for Russia, you're not fighting for me. And so then a bunch of other people were like, and we kind of want our religion too, or we're not going to cooperate. And so he basically allowed for religion during the war because he was desperate. Hmm. Then when the war is over, we're going to go back to persecuting the religious people because he's a rat weasel. Yeah. And that's what he does. You know, he'll let you have it your way because he's desperate. And then the minute he's not desperate anymore, boom, now down comes the hammer. Hmm. Maybe I've heard things as well where it's, uh, I don't know if he also did this, but um, during the time of the Civil War, they would uh -huh. not let people who were enslaved um, pray to their pray to God okay because Jesus is associated with like breaking free and like, yes. freedom and, yeah. and breaking from societal norms and so yes. they wouldn't let them pray to Jesus yes. and I don't know if that has anything well, well the thing is communism like a dictatorship oftentimes has to have atheism as its core policy because if you don't have a religious dictatorship if you have like a communist dictatorship Part of their thing was they are creating utopia on Earth. Mm -hmm. But religion says that you're not going to have utopia on Earth, that there's going to be problems down here. In fact, sometimes you're going to have hell on Earth. But if you live in utopia, you live in the Soviet Union, since we live in the perfect society, well, then what's all this talk about bad things going on? So yeah. shut up with that. Yeah. Then also, to these dictators would create a cult of personality where people would worship Stalin. Hitler had a cult of personality. Mao had a cult of personality. You could just go to you know search engine and look up images of these people, and they all have these portraits where they are just glowing, and they look majestic, and their arms are reaching out toward the future. It's propaganda. And they, it's all propaganda. Yeah, and, and the thing was, is, well, we're going to turn this person into a god. For a more modern example, you just look up the uh, the Kim Jong-un family. I was just thinking that. As soon as you said it, I was just like, oh, that's good. Yeah. Well, that's, and yeah. read read a book called In Order to Live by Yeon Mi Park. 
she grew up in North Korea and she escaped when she was 13. And so she goes into great detail about in the 1990s about how Kim Jong-un was worshiped as a god. You know, so like, yeah, they're not going to do a First Amendment. You don't have freedom of speech and say, hey, that's not a god. That's just a guy, you know, and uh, you're not going to have freedom of religion because they're supposed to worship this guy. She had, these stories were ridiculous, by the way. There was one where he rides a roller coaster for fun. And so he gets off the roller coaster. And then the North Korean media says, Kim Jong-un is so good. He basically is testing the roller coasters to see if they're safe so that the other North Koreans can ride the roller coaster and have a good time. So like this, this guy can't have a cup of coffee or use a paper clip without somebody writing an article about how he's testing to make sure that the paper clips are of the appropriate size and measure. So I, just everything he does is, is a saintly act. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to worship him. His grandfather was declared the eternal ruler of North Korea. And so everywhere you look, I mean, there's portraits of him with halos. I, I have seen that before. There's, there's actually textbooks I've seen yeah. that he's still got a halo, which is weird, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. So the he's, pictures that we have, I guess. Right, so they're all atheists, mm -hmm. and uh, they all have halos. So it's interesting <laughs> that they're borrowing, like, all this religious iconography. But, but again, this is, to me, this is where... I get a little extreme on this, but you eliminate freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom of religion, freedom of the press, you eliminate these things, you end up in North Korea. You're right. I think or the Soviet right. Union, East Germany, the Eastern Bloc countries, uh, Pol Pot's Cambodia. The examples are endless. Mm -hmm. And so since it always turns out the same way every time, I mean, somebody's going to have to point out to me the country where they got rid of freedom of speech, but it all turned out great. You're right. It, it, it's... I think it was Benjamin Franklin who said that if you get rid of any of those uh -huh. pillars, yeah. crumbles entirely is erected in its place. Yeah. So you're 100% yeah. right, I think, when yeah. you say that. Because, you know, these are basic human rights we're talking about. These should That's not right. be open to interpretation. That's right. You know, you know people, again, you have you know, gun control is a thing, and you have, uh -huh. you know, some of the rights of the accused are actually up for interpretation. Uh -huh. And it's still just like, no, like, these are, no, you get to say what you want within That's a right. certain bound. Yeah. You get to... Petition how you want. Just don't do it violently. Uh -huh. You can practice whatever religion you want. Just don't kill people. Right. You can you can do whatever kind of news story you want. Just don't make it defamatory against yeah. somebody else. Yeah. 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 So, I guess my feeling is, and, and then when people overstep, like again the jerk at the party who's offending everybody, well now he has no friends. So I mean that's the consequence. You know, you, you sort of let the natural consequences take over. You don't have the police to come in to shut the guy's freedom of speech down. Mm -hmm. That's that's my ultimate interpretation on this. I, I would agree with that. Now, what what limits would I accept? See, I don't really feel like some of these are limits. Like people would say, okay, well, can we show X-rated movies during Saturday morning cartoon hour for little kids? Mm -hmm. Well, the thing is. First of all, that's an image, that's not speech. But second of all, um, if people want to access something like pornography, and I hope they don't, but if they want to, they can get that elsewhere. They don't have to broadcast that in every scenario that we can think of in society. It doesn't need to be on billboards everywhere. It doesn't need to be you know, on the kids' you know, cartoon hour you know, for the eight-year-olds. So that's the thing. If you can get it someplace else, then I can sort of see, okay, we're going to have some age limits here. We're going to have, like, movies that are PG-13. We're going to have others that are, you know, it's R, so in theory, under 17. They're not going to be seeing those so often, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, these are some of the limits. I think the only limit that, like, 
is, is reasonable. Uh -huh. It's the one on freedom of speech where it's like, um, you can't shout fire at a crowded theater. Uh -huh. you're, you're, you're disturbing the peace, you're inciting violence or inciting uh -huh. panic. Uh -huh. I think that's the only limit I would say. Okay. Um, that personally, I would accept. I'm not sure if you okay. for that. Well, I, I guess I don't want people yelling fire at a crowded theater. <laughs> or like yelling there, shark at a beach or just... I think there are certain <clears throat> laws. You'd have to tell me. I, I'm just not terribly well read on this. Where I think maybe you're endangering the public physical safety. Mm -hmm. you I, know? I think it's like inciting the... Disturbing the peace. Disturbing the peace, something like that, like inciting a riot, something along those lines. Yeah. Um, here, here's, I'm so old that, that I guess my take on things is if you are not physically hurting somebody, I just say let people say what they want. And I, and I again, I like it when the jerk makes himself known. Mm -hmm. I like that yeah. because then we've achieved clarity. So I, I kind of like that. And now you know who you don't want to associate yeah. with now. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, that guy just really insulted me and my mother. How yeah. He? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm just not yeah. going to talk to him anymore. Yeah. Or his mama. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had students today say uh, they were reading jokes from 1910, and a bunch of them ended with your mom or oh the equivalent. Dude, that's where it hurts the most. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, it's just so funny. That's 100 years ago. And then somebody goes, yeah, Shakespeare. Shakespeare Shakespeare's like forsooth. By moderate, you know. <laughs> so I thought, okay, so yeah, dost thou insulteth my mom? Yeah. Yes. So, okay, shall we move on to right to bear arms? I would love to. Okay, let's move on to that. Go um, ahead. What What are your thoughts? So um, I actually just finished that chapter in the book. Okay. And I outlined how, you know, had there not been, you know, there there hadn't there wouldn't have been an American Revolution if they did not have the arms to do so. Okay. Um, right before the Battle of Concord, which is the, I believe the first battle of the Revolutionary War. Okay. Um, or Lexington, uh, or both. Uh, there it was actually over a dispute on where they wanted to disarm the colonists. Okay. They, they essentially gave them a middle finger and said, "We're not doing that. Okay. We're fighting against you." And that's what kind of really started the first battle of the Revolution and sparked the war. Okay. And. You know, you have different sides of uh -huh. the same coin when it comes to um, gun con or not gun control, gun rights, uh -huh. where there's self-defense uh -huh. and there's defense against your government. And uh -huh. so for, you know, defense against your government, I uh -huh. would say you have people like, you know, Hitler. You have people okay. like Stalin and Lenin and Mao Zedong. Who you mean like if they take over, you're going to wish you had a gun? Exactly. Yeah. Well, the first yeah. thing, I mean, I know there was legislation in 33 before Hitler rose to power and then uh -huh. he enacted one. But uh, Hitler passed the legislation in, in sort of the, you know, um, the Weimar Republic did before uh -huh. him. Okay. That essentially was like, give up your guns or in 24 hours to the, the government. Or okay. You're going to starve. We're, we're going to cut off access to food for you. Mm. Or we're just going to kill you. Okay. Um, and then those who were like part of the government who had guns were also revoked. Except for okay. the government gave them their guns. I think we talked about ordinary men. They all got those guns from the government and yes. had to give them back at the end. Okay. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. But it makes sense, though, because if any of those men were to say this is wrong, uh -huh. and they have a weapon, it gives them, you know, the chance right. to revolt. Uh, and then you go to, like, Stalin. Yeah. Where they, they sent them to the gulags. If they right. Made, um, if they didn't cooperate. There's actually a book I just read called Cannibal Island. I don't know if you've read oh, it. Oh, I've heard of that. It is terrifying. I think Jocko Willink reads a passage from that on his podcast. I That's where I, I actually got inspired to read okay. it because it was Jordan Peterson on right. his podcast. Right, with Jocko, yep. which is like the ultimate podcast. Yep, it's yeah. two guys who are just yeah. like fanboying over it. That's amazing. right, that's right. And uh, he, he read it, and I go, wow, 
that sounds awful, but I want to read that because I'm kind of right. into like a human evil kind of thing. Or yeah. Those weird yeah. Sounds. And I read half of it last week online because it's, okay. I guess, like somehow got a PDF. And it was just terrifying. Okay. Because of everything he outlines. And, and it, I think at one point in the book, they're like, oh, in 19, uh, I believe it was 23. Okay. Uh, Stalin round up a bunch of, like, I think it was like 100,000 people. And okay. Of the 100,000, 10,000 he just left to die on Cannibal Island. Okay. And the other 90,000 he sent to gulags. Okay. And that's where Alexander Solzhenitsyn comes in because he was one of those. One oh. Of those, I believe. Okay. If not later, I could be wrong. Okay. Um, I'm probably I'm not sure the chronology of Solzhenitsyn's life. No. I, kn- I know he was a World War II soldier in the 40s, and then I think when he came back, then I think he might have wound up in the gulag. I could be... I know he was in the gulag for roughly 10 years. Yeah, he was not in there with the 100,000. Okay. I, I just meant to make the point he went to the gulags. And okay. Everything. But you're right. I think okay. That's, um, and I, I talk about that in the book, and I'm like, you know, this is these are the terrible things that happened. And, you know, I go into Mao Zedong and look uh-huh. how he, you know, that is still in effect today. In right. The People's Republic of China where they right. have guns. Well, and gosh, they got concentration camps with the Uyghur population, which is something like, correct me if I'm wrong, roughly a 1.5 million people oh, I don't know who are, I think it's huge, imprisoned essentially for their faith and used as slave labor to manufacture things for the CCP. Mm-hmm. That's terrible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people don't know about this. They don't, I mean, people think slavery is a 19th century thing. There's a lot of slavery going on in the world today. Well, slavery comes in different forms, too. Yes, it does. I think you said it earlier, where it's you know, not just, you know, without being disrespectful. Yeah, with the, it's not just labor. Exactly. But some of it is like sex trade type stuff. And there's, there's like six different types that the United Nations looks at. And last time I saw a statistic on it, they said something like 42 million people in the 21st century are still in slavery today. Although it's really hard to get accurate numbers is what they say, because slavery is really not legal in most countries. Mm -hmm. And so it's not something people want to brag up. People don't want to say, yes, we've got a concentration gap and it's loaded with slaves. You know, visit China. You know, people don't really want to brag that sort of thing up. You know, so as a result, it's kind of hard to get decent numbers on this. But the United Nations uh, does try to figure that out, apparently. And I guess if you're going to devote your life to a wonderful cause, maybe eliminating slavery in our century would be one cause. And there you go. I got so, something on my plate now. Yeah. <laughs> President. So, so I'm kind of thinking, okay, so you're, the first thing that you went to was, okay, we have to have a right to bear arms because... What if our government turns against us? Well, that's that's what I, I said. I, I list all three of those examples. Okay. And I say, what is the commonality in these three examples? The first thing they did was they disarmed their citizens. And they, like you yes. said earlier, they took away their freedom of speech. Yeah. And I think I heard the quote where it was like, when the First Amendment fails, use the second. Yeah. It's like, when you are, you know, I've always kind of thought about this myself, where it's like, you have these things that are just, it's just a piece of paper when it comes down. That's to it. right. If the government were to say, you know, screw you guys, we're just going to not let you practice whatever religion you want. We're going to, you're going to not let you petition against our thing because you know, Woodrow Wilson, I spoke right. about that in my book, the, yeah. the Sedition and Espionage Acts. Right. He was imprisoning people for that's speaking right. out against the war. Effect. That's right. That's completely against that's their right. constitutional I think, right. I think those came with a $10,000 fine, which that was in 1917. So if you put that in modern dollars, you have to multiply that number by 20, possibly more. 
So you were looking at a $200,000 fine for speaking out against the war. Uh, suffragette Alice Paul, who was you know, fighting for women to get the right to vote, which the constitution that gave women the right to vote was, I believe, 1920. So she was put in prison. And wow. they said, well, we're locking you up because you were a war protester. And she said, well, I didn't say anything about the war. I just said women should have the right to vote. Mm -hmm. And they were picketing the White House with signs that basically said, so we're supposedly fighting for democracy abroad. Well, how about fighting for democracy here mm -hmm. for women? Mm -hmm. And so then they put her in prison. And then she went on a um, starvation crusade, like she was just going to not eat. Mm -hmm. So then they wound up having the force feeder to keep her alive. You know, so they, they didn't really have intravenous feeding, so they had this contraption where they would feed her raw eggs Ooh. to basically, well, you get protein, you got fat, so these are macronutrients that keep you alive. It's pretty grotesque, though. Uh, it's featured in a movie called Iron Jawed Angels. But I've heard of that, but I've never, it's I've pretty never good. seen it. It's yet. pretty good, but it's in, it's in other books and movies and things like that as well. It's listed, it's mentioned in the World War I Museum here in Kansas City. So, yeah, so yeah. just look up Alice Paul. Alice Paul? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. if you're listening, Alice Paul. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, one of the uh, the suffragettes, you know, who helped women get the right to vote nationally. So, so okay. So yeah, we don't have guns, like you're saying. We could be subject to tyranny if the First Amendment fails and our government goes bad. That's why we have the Second Amendment. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of like you know mass shootings that have happened recently, uh -huh. and you know my heart goes out to everyone who's affected by that. But we, I think, as a society tend to vilify the opposite side. Uh -huh. But I think we can have a rational conversation about what can be done about these yes. acts rather than just demonizing our opponents and calling them you know, heartless wenches who don't care about dead kids at Sandy Hook. I think right. that you know, so many people just like to jump to the conclusion of if you support gun rights, you support you know, these shootings going on. But you know, that's not true at all. I, right. I support the Second Amendment. I'm, I'm buying a gun. I'm in the process of buying a gun. Okay. And or at least saving up for it. I yeah, say. yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I think that so many people just don't want to have that conversation. Yeah, what, they, what do they want to do in your experience? What do they want to do on this conversation? Because whenever I had conversations about guns, it was as a college instructor. And so I, I just basically tried to keep my opinions to myself and I just tried to moderate a discussion mm -hmm. between different people and I okay I was teaching in the 90s and the early 21st century and just I guess my belief as a college instructor was this is what college is for mm -hmm. college is for people who have opposing viewpoints or maybe there's three viewpoints or four viewpoints mm -hmm. let's just discuss mm -hmm. and, and it's, it's like freedom of speech you know? yeah like you have to have that open dialogue yeah and I think that, and it always seemed like it worked. It, I, I've heard I've heard colleges are getting a little bit more close-minded. Uh, that maybe we don't have the back and forth that we used to have. But, but anyway, I think that's the ideal purpose of the university is to, is to be able to have people with opposing viewpoints have a discussion. Yeah, and, and when you don't demonize or vilify your opponent, yeah. it's able to go much smoother. Yeah. And so, how is it working in your generation? I guess I should ask, or just in your how, experience. How people think. Need just these discussions. Like, are people having? They're getting shut down. They're okay. getting shut down every. You know, I've I've had conversations with classmates of mine, and they just either walk away because mm. they don't like what I'm saying. Okay. And or they just 
you know, literally start yelling at me. Okay. I've had one person throw something at me before. <laughs> that was my freshman year at JUCO. Um, it was a weird experience having. I don't believe in violence. Time. I'm going to chuck you, you know, chuck a rock at your head. How dare you violate me or you know your speech is violence? But I'm going to throw a cup at you okay. at Starbucks. Cup okay. And that didn't hurt, but cool, man. Okay. And um, I don't know. I just don't think you know my generation specifically has a lot of you know want to have that conversation, okay. like I said, because okay. not only is it a hard conversation to have, but it, it makes you think. And yeah. you know, people don't like to sit down for hours at a time having conversations because to them, they just it's, it gets boring. That's why, okay. YouTube, that's why YouTube videos are 12 minutes long on average, okay. because it's short and sweet. Yeah. Nobody wants the long two and a half hour podcast okay. of Jordan Peterson explaining why religion is important. Okay. And well, except, I don't know, maybe there is an audience for it. There is, for yeah. sure. Yeah, I, I know yeah. people my issue, like myself, yeah. and my older brother, Sean yeah. Neil. And, uh, I think when people get hooked on that, they really like it. Because, gosh, Jocko's a top 200 podcast. So is Joe Rogan. So is Jordan Peterson. Mm-hmm. They will have two-hour, three-hour podcasts, and people do listen. So, right. to yeah. me, that says there's hope. I think with... I, I think there is hope. First off, you're right. Yeah. I, I think that, you know... Myself included, like I, I do know people who love to listen to long lectures. Having that open dialogue and talking about things that are hard to talk about okay. is so important because there, there's so many kids who oppose gun control okay. or they oppose a certain thing only because their parents or their pastor or okay. their teachers or some other authority figure in their life has told them to think like right. that. Right, right. And it's it's... It's just really disappointing. And again, I'm not perfect. I don't, uh-huh. I don't think I'm this smart uh-huh. guy. I, right, I, right, right. I try, I try to learn every single day. Yeah. Um, I want to get to that point eventually where I can just pull stuff out of my hat and talk about anything. Okay. But, you know, I, I'm not at that point yet. Um, you're pretty good, though, and you're doing your research. I'm impressed. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I... I uh, you know, I, I love having conversations like that. Like, this conversation is uh-huh. really fun. A lot of people I know don't like to have those conversations. Okay. Um, and I think that it's, it's like the main thesis of the book is that, you know, you may not want to read about it, but, like, you, it is your, mm. not your right, but, like, your duty as an American yes. citizen to... Know your rights. Know your rights. And, and know, not just know them, but know how to enforce okay. them. Okay. Because otherwise, we're going to get trampled upon. Yeah, we're sure. Okay. Okay. Um... I think there's only maybe one other question I want to ask about right to bear arms, and and it, I think you're ahead of me because I don't think I even thought about this question until it came up in a class I was teaching, and I was probably about 25, 26, teaching at UMKC, and somebody in class must have written in a paper that if we have gun control, then by definition, um, law-abiding citizens will turn in their guns, and criminals will not. You're right. Because by definition, if I'm a criminal, why the heck would I turn in my gun? Mm-hmm. So if we have gun control, we are basically going to be left with criminals are armed and uh, law-abiding citizens, uh, some of them will turn into criminals because they won't be able to make themselves turn in their guns. Mm-hmm. And that's that was kind of persuasive to me. And I yeah. thought, okay, now this could be kind of bad. So then all the law-abiding citizens are unarmed mm-hmm. and the criminals are all armed to the teeth. This struck me as a bad idea. Yeah. But, and I, I still can't see the flaw in that argument. And I wish I, if there is a flaw, 
Uh, do you see a flaw in that argument, so or does that seem pretty good? So your argument says that if if gun control were to work, yeah, if we had gun control, if we did, if we the government says tomorrow, say, turn in all your guns, turn in all your guns, we'll pay uh, I don't know, two hundred dollars a gun or something like that. You know, I, I think all the law-abiding people might say, "Oh shucks," but I'd better do it because I'm a law-abiding person. So then the law-abiding people will give up their guns, and the criminals will be like, "That's stupid of them." Now I can rob people even more. Yeah, I, I think that, I mean, I can't find one either. I mean, to me, okay. that just makes logical sense. Okay. And that's that other side of that coin I was talking about where with, with you know, the Second Amendment, which is self-defense. Yeah. And so, you know, people, you, you look at the Columbine shooters. Yeah. You look yes. at the Sandy Hook shooter. Yeah. Their guns were not legal. Sandy, okay. The Sandy Hook shooter, I believe, was 22, and he had a gun that he took from either his parents okay. or his friend. I can't remember. Don't quote me on that. Okay. And then the Columbine shooters, I think, were 17 and 18 at the time. Right, so right. So how are they able to purchase a firearm? Well, I, that's that was a long time ago, but I remember you being right. <laughs> I remember reading or seeing at the time that, yeah, they did not have legal guns. They wrote in their journals um, that they they had, like, an extremely hard time getting them, but they just went to the, the black market and mm. just got them there, and it's... It's like, okay, well, if, you know, even if in that argument, in that theoretical yeah. argument, everybody turns in their guns, uh -huh. even the criminals, okay. bad guys are still going to find a way to get them. Like, there, okay. was a, there was a gym I used to work at, okay. and there was a big sign on the door that had a handgun and it had a red cross through it. Okay. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I do. I yeah. do. And, uh, we don't accept handguns here. Yep, no guns, no, right. guns, no weapons. Right, right, right. There was um, one time I was working, and I got a phone call. Okay. And it was a guy. Okay. And he goes, hey, are you alone? And I go, uh, what? <laughs> Excuse me? I'm at my place of work. And he goes, hey, so this is Reed, right? And I go, yeah. And he goes, hey, this is so-and-so. And I go, oh, hey, man. It was someone I knew not very uh, well, but just from the gym. Okay. And he goes, hey, I need you to go to locker number, blah, 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 blah. I left the gun in there. And I was like, oh, Dude. my. I was like, no, you did not. And he goes, can you please grab it for me? Make sure no one grabs it. And I go, yeah, is it locked? And he goes, it's unlocked. So I like threw down the phone. I called up somebody from like the cafe. I was like, watch the front. I ran back with one of my other managers. Okay. And we got it. We okay. put it in the safe in the back. Okay. And he came in and we got it. And then he was he had his membership revoked and everything. Okay. Which was, he violated the rule. Okay. But that just shows you how gun control doesn't work. You know, if you have yeah. an area where, you know, it says don't bring a gun and people are going to find a way to bring a gun. The guy brought in a gun. And he didn't even, I mean, we watched the security, or I guess my manager watched the security footage back. He didn't even have a bag. Okay. And he had his shirt tucked in. And okay. So you have to assume that it's either tucked in under his belt, under his shirt. Okay. People are going to find a way to break the law. Yeah. And, you know, when you, like you said, when you take away the ability of other people to defend themselves, mm -hmm. you know, that causes actually more death than what yes. you want. It's like you have, like, I think there was a church, again, people aren't talking about this. Yeah. But there was a church uh, earlier this year that. Um, had one of its first services back okay. home, and there was okay. a guy trying to shoot people. Okay. I think he shot two people, and then a guy who had a registered handgun okay. took him out and killed him. Okay. But had he not been there, we don't know the amount of casualties That's right. that would have happened with that. Yeah, you could have a mass shooting thing. You could have had 20 people dead. Yeah, that's scary to yeah. think. And yeah, it's so, scary. You know, I, my dad carries, Okay. and I've always admired that uh -huh. because... He doesn't do it for his own self-safety. He does okay. it for the safety of others. Okay. And I've always admired that. And I'm, you know, I always want to replicate everything that yeah. my dad does because my dad is one of the 
probably the smartest person I know. That's cool. And I love having conversations with him about this stuff because he tells me what he thinks, which is rare because he's super quiet. Okay. <laughs> and uh, if I had him on the podcast, it'd be a two-minute long podcast. He'd just sit there and okay. stare. <laughs> Sorry, Dad, I didn't mean to cry you out. Um, yeah, and, and I think that you know, self-defense against other people, bad guys with guns. Okay. And self-defense in the event that your government were to become tyrannical. Yes. That's what I'm afraid of more, personally. Okay. Not so much the self-defense thing. Okay. As it is with my government. Government becoming with, tyrannical. With the, I mean, like, you look at what the original Constitution government was not supposed to be this big. Like, you have right. people being elected to, like, the Environmental Protection Agency uh -huh. and the CIA and the FBI. It's like, I didn't elect them, but the person I elected elected them. And yeah. so it's an indirect election. Yeah. And, you know, it's not unconstitutional, but, like, we made the election of senators. Right. Direct election. Right, we right. It has to be direct. And so right. I'm, I'm for the idea of, like, okay, we're going to elect people to these positions. Not just elect people to elect people, if that makes sense. Yeah, okay, so and you'd like to have more elections, basically. More elections, less government. Okay. So I'm, I'm a big advocate of okay. less government. Okay, okay. Um, that's cool for me to hear because I've just never even thought about more elections. I never thought about us electing, I don't know, the chief of the CIA or something. That's a really interesting idea. I, I, don't have the, I don't have a single intelligent thought of the subject because I haven't thought about it at all. It's just an interesting idea for me to yeah. play with later. I actually I heard, I read that in a book um, about six months ago where it was talking about the direct election of senators yeah. and term limits. And then I took a class that was like a mock Congress okay. this past spring semester at my university uh -huh. and I had to propose an amendment to the constitution okay. and it was about term limits for senators and, okay. and house representatives and uh, one thing that it did speak about was that subject okay strangely enough it's cool it's cool okay let's move on to amendments three and four sure uh, as far as I can tell they are pretty much all about private property mm -hmm. and our right to actually have private property mm -hmm. so uh, I guess we're not going to have some sort of a system where we own nothing and um, yeah, where we know, own nothing. We do, we own things. Mm -hmm. So um, what are your thoughts on, on private property? I mean, is it essential? Having laws to protect private yeah, property? Yeah, oh. like for example, you can have a house versus, I don't know, you live in government housing. Mm -hmm. You know, you can have a car versus you have government transportation. Mm -hmm. That kind of thing. Like, yeah, do we need private property where, hey, that's your house, that's your car? I, I believe so, and I think, you know, more so than that, the, the ability to have privacy with that. Uh -huh. So it's not like you know, any cop can come in and just look in your house for something. Right. I think there was a, there's a Supreme Court case, I forget the name of it, it was fairly recently, after okay. 2015, okay. where there was a man who reported a stolen bicycle okay. and, or motorcycle. Okay. And uh, the police were looking all over the town for it, and there was an officer who was driving in a neighborhood about a mile down from the road of the guy who reported it, and he saw underneath a tarp on a guy's property what he believed to be the bike because it was like the same color or something. Okay. And he illegally trespassed on the property and went up and essentially violated the man's okay. Fourth Amendment right of unreasonable searches and seizures mm. um, and pulled off the tarp. But sure enough, there was the bike. Okay. And, you know, it got taken to the Supreme Court and they argued about it. Um, and they said it didn't violate his rights, in my opinion. Okay. I don't like to defend criminals, but uh -huh. I do believe everybody should have the you know due process. Of right, 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 right. Because I guess we could capture one criminal by 
breaking his rights by ignoring his rights, but then we set a precedent where, okay, now we can just trample over people's rights left and right all across the country. That sounds like a horrible thing to me. Mm -hmm. I think we do. I, I'm really happy we have private property. You're right, me too. You yeah. know, I'm just thinking, well, if we don't have private property, then doesn't that give the government the right to put up cameras absolutely everywhere? And so maybe now I can never have a free moment again where I have a right to privacy. Mm -hmm. Also, too, uh, just, gosh, your home, it's supposed to be kind of a safe place, mm -hmm. you know, for you. Yeah. Um, yeah, and your car confers mobility, which, hey, that's also goes back to the First Amendment. Freedom of assembly. You know, I should be able to get together with my friends without worrying about being monitored mm -hmm. or anything like that. I should be able to do this in my house or, you know, with my car, etc., so I, I just, I, I don't see a good system being there if we don't have private property. I think you're right. Do you, I, I love the story mm -hmm. that you had. Do you have anything else on private property or should we move on to self-incrimination? I think that's pretty much it, yeah. Okay, okay. So uh, self-incrimination, I don't have a lot of thoughts on this. I've just seen a movie or two that made me kind of think. But you could take this in any direction you want, self-incrimination. Yeah, so... You know, when you look at movies and you uh -huh. hear, like, you have the right to remain silent. Uh -huh. Anything you say can and will be used against you. Right. Well, you probably know this. Yeah. Um, but for people who don't know, Miranda v. Arizona. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. think 1968? That's, that's got to be close. I In my head, my head says 1966, but sometimes I don't remember things properly. It was definitely that's, in the latter half of the 20th century. Yeah. You know, like the last... Maybe the last yeah, we're, we're within two years of each other. You said 68, I say 66. I'll say 67. Just okay, <laughs> just to be, yeah. And uh, so Miranda was uh, arrested because he had uh, sexually assaulted and murdered a okay. woman. And he got put into prison and he didn't know that he had the rights to remain silent. Remain silent. You know, people always hear you have the right to remain silent. And it's so overused. It's just like one of those words that loses meaning after you say it. So that's much. right. So people don't know what it means. So like, if you're going to look at it in an in-depth way, you have the right to remain silent against self-incrimination. You don't have to tell the police if they say, right. you know, why did you murder this person? Right. You can just be like, I don't have to say why. Or yeah. You can say that. Cause you can say nothing. You just say nothing. I wish to invoke my fifth amendment privilege. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times you also hear of people like Michael, for instance. Okay. Michael didn't know that he had right and self-incrimination. Right. He's just a kid. Exactly. And yeah. And maybe he's thinking, hey, all my life I've answered authority figures when authority figures have told me to do this or that. So I'm just going to follow these cops because they're authority figures. Exactly. There's there's actually a, a channel on YouTube. It's called like JCS Psychology that okay. I recently got into with uh, my girlfriend about six months ago, okay. where he takes um, police interrogations, okay. and he comes at him from a like a criminology or a psychoanalytic perspective. Oh wow! And he's like, okay, well, this is this is the the pause technique where okay. you know they say something and they want more answers, so they they lock eye contact and they don't say anything. Right. And he's like, what this person realizes is that you know they just asserted their Fifth Amendment right to a speedy trial, but like it's it's so hard to explain. But it's it's interesting because he gives his own commentary and okay. he's like, you know, what they're what the police are trying to do in this situation is he just confessed to the crime. So they're trying to like divert his attention away from that and his quote unquote feeling guilty so that he doesn't request a lawyer, so that he doesn't remain silent. And so Oh interesting. So first they maybe get him to confess, but then they change the subject. So that he doesn't be like, Okay, I want a lawyer. 
Oh, even though he wow. just said because they want more information. So for example, Michael, he confessed, instead of telling him that, they diverted his attention and said, write a letter to your dead sister. And oh, so wow. he did as a nail in the coffin, like I wrote. And it's it's crazy, these little tactics that yeah. they have. And again, I'm not against law enforcement. Right, right, right. I am against not allowing people to invoke their rights. Right, because he didn't get a lawyer. And, you know, if you don't remain silent in that situation, you're going to maybe say something that could be self-incriminating, yep. essentially. Or you could be innocent, but you say something that makes you look guilty, mm -hmm. and then they subject you to a 10-hour interrogation because they want to get the whole story out of yep. you, essentially. Yeah, there was so. uh, one thing going off of that with the, you know, okay. people learning things. Uh, you ever watch Live PD? No, what's Live PD? Oh my gosh, it, it got canceled, unfortunately. Okay. It, was, it was like a cops kind okay. of thing, where it was like they follow cops, but it was like live. Oh, there like was, the old cop show? Yeah, it was, okay. it, was, it was kind of like more like modern day version. Okay. They jumped different points around the country, so okay. it was like, is he in a Florida? Um, and there was one where there was a guy who was you know, shirtless in his driveway, okay. and they responded to his call, and they're like, what's wrong, man? And he goes, I'm just sitting here drinking on my driveway, when this guy comes over and starts yelling racial slurs at me, and they mm. go, you're drinking, what's your name? And he goes, blah, 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 and they go, do you know, you know you're on probation and you're not allowed to drink because you had a DUI two months ago, you know that, right? Mm. And he's like, shoot, <laughs> and I arrested him, and they said, okay, you just violated your probation. So it's like, you gotta be careful with what you say to the police, man. Like, uh, again, I'm not against right, right, the police, right. but like, yeah. get you on those little things. You uh, and that's self-incriminating, what people, that's rough. That's really rough. It was, it was really hard to watch that episode because he just really didn't know he was doing anything. He he thought he was just not allowed to drink in public. Uh huh. He said, no, you You can't drink. Drinking. Period. Basically. And he okay. Ended up failing an alcohol test and. Ah. Uh, uh, because he didn't know. He thought, "Hey, I am allowed to drink on my own property." <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Okay. Uh, anything else on self-incrimination? That was that was pretty enlightening for me right there. I think that's it. Okay, much, yeah. let's move on to number six, which is the right to a speedy trial. Mm -hmm. And okay, I, I just have not had a long conversation about the right to a speedy trial with too much of anybody, but every now and then I'll read these things where, okay, somebody gets arrested and then the trial is scheduled for nine months from today. Yeah. And that does not seem speedy to me, so that's all I know, and I was hoping maybe you could enlighten me as to where is this country at in terms of the Sixth Amendment, the right to a speedy trial? So I think that, you know, going along with the rights of the accused, uh -huh. if, if in the Sixth Amendment, like, you get the right to that due process of laws, what that's called, you get, yeah. you know, you get a jury of your peers in okay. the same county in which the crime was supposedly committed. Okay. Um, so O.J. Simpson, for example. Okay. There was a ton of, you know, argument as to how they should interpret it um, not just the speedy trial part, because his trial ended up being, like, what, three years? Uh, you know, it felt like three years. I, I'm trying to remember. It, it was at least nine months, but I, I could be very wrong about that. I mean, it consumed the whole country. I was in my 20s when that was going on, and I'm ashamed to admit that I read the prosecutor's book when the whole thing was over. <laughs> I was like, why am I torturing myself this way? Marsha Clark was the prosecutor, and she wrote a book. And I read it, and I don't remember a thing about it. Yeah, I've, I respect Marsha Clark and what she did. Yeah, I, I, it's not like that her. I disrespect yeah. any of these. It's just that O.J. Simpson, oh my goodness, I just OD'd on it at the time. There's and I didn't so want much to. You take I, there's always so much I could take. Yeah. But, but anyway, go back to, uh, to your story. Yeah. Um, so, like, for, for example, there was, there was a lot of 
debate about where it should be held. Should okay. it be held in the neighborhood that he lived in, which was mostly upper class white people, or okay. should it be held in this other county where it was like people around him uh -huh. who were like middle class, uh -huh. and they ended up settling for the middle class one because okay. the defense wanted people who would try to acquit him easier. Okay. And both prosecution and the defense were very shady with a lot of the things they did. Okay. A lot of things they did were racially motivated, so okay. they condone a lot of things that they did. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I suppose the prosecution will do anything to convict this guy, and the defense attorneys will do anything to get him off. Yeah, they both just got to throw something at the wall and hope it's Right, sucks, right. I mean, well, he hired, in theory, the best lawyers in the United States of America. Yeah, I think, team. yeah, Alan Dershowitz, and I don't know, I can't remember who else was on there. Robert Shapiro and Johnny Cochran, I think. Okay, yeah, oh, I forgot, yeah. Whoever David Schwimmer's character was. Robert Shapiro. That's yeah. Who, or not Shapiro, Kardashian. Okay. Yeah. I don't even remember. But okay, keep going. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so, you know, speedy trial, I don't think it's like supposed to be within the same day. I uh -huh. just think it means that, I mean, this is just my interpretation of it, is that, you know, you, you don't just sit in a prison for 15 years. Right. It's, it's, you know, I think that's what they're trying to avoid. Exactly. Like the, the history behind the, the amendment was that when people, and you probably know this, I'm just okay. this for No, no, I actually don't. Go ahead. Um, in, in Britain, in the colonies, when people would commit crimes, they wouldn't be allowed due process. They would instead, instead of having the trial at the place in which it was committed in the colonies, okay. they would be shipped back over to Britain. Oh. People who didn't know them, didn't know their motivations, didn't know anything, and they would be tried under the British legal system. Wow, okay. And they would, again, there's that trip from New York all the way to the British Isles. By boat in the eight, weeks. Yeah, in the 18th century. Exactly. Yeah, it probably takes a long time. There's that, and then you sit in a prison for, again, 15 years waiting. Yeah, if they feel like putting you in prison, I guess, yeah, maybe if they don't like you and they want to lock you up, but they don't have any evidence, well, then we'll just schedule your trial for 1801 yeah. when you did the thing in 1770, you know? Yeah, 31 years. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's, you know, people have interpreted it different ways. That's how I interpret it. Okay. Is, you're not just going to you know, be waiting for... Yeah, it, it keeps the authorities from gaming the system right. against the average person. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's what that must be. That's going to be my guess. And so that was like their idea was they're like, well, we want to, I mean, that was like a central theme of like the colonists is that they're like, we are getting taxed out our butts and we're not getting representation in our government. Yes. We are having people shot and killed like the Boston Massacre and yes. nothing is being done. And we are being oppressed in so many different ways and we're paying off a war we didn't fight, which was the seven years. War. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're not getting anything in return. If anything, we're getting hurt worse. And that's why they wrote it in the Constitution, mm. in the Bill of Rights, was they're like, you know, we want people to feel that they're being judged by people who are like-minded. Okay. You know? Okay. And so for, you know, for OJ's sake, it was people who grew up in a less than wealthy family and knew of the struggles that he went through. Oh. I think that's why the defense, in his case at least, wanted to have people on the jury like that. Okay. They, they knew of his struggles and they knew what he had been through. Okay. Especially, you know... You know, as a black American, right, right, right. things that he grew up with in you know true segregation. Yes, um, they understood the terrible things that they had to endure. Yeah, yeah, that'd be so interesting to try to come up with a trial of your peers for a celebrity. Very you know, because okay, the guy's filthy rich. He's an NFL player. He was a movie star, mm -hmm. so he's kind of at the top of the chain, really. But maybe if he came from the bottom and then moved to the top. 
who are his peers? You know, other celebrities who came up from nothing. I mean, how do you find? But then they probably don't live in his neighborhood, and that's kind of a requirement. That yeah, there's kinda... like extra laws in, in in most situations where it's like you know it's uh, you know it's not okay if like you go to you know you're let's say you supposedly yeah. kill somebody. Yeah, I can't be a judge on the trial. I okay. can't be um, you know a jury member on that trial because okay. that could sway my vote, essentially. Oh, okay. Or it could sway the way that I mediate the arguments. Okay. And so there's that argument, too, where it's like, okay, well, like, how can you do it for a celebrity? It's like, you really can't. That's what's unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. You can to The more agree. unique you become, finding a jury, like, if Elon Musk gets accused yeah. of anything, okay, he has, like, a collection of peers that include Elon Musk and nobody else. <laughs> you know, he's too unique, you know? So... I think the most recent example was the... Uh, Derek Chauvin trial. Okay. Where, you know, I think jury selection lasted three weeks. Okay. Eight hours a day for five days a week because it was so hard to find somebody right. who didn't know of what happened. Oh, that's another thing. Like, nobody's supposed to have heard of this so that they can come to it objectively. That was a problem with O.J. Simpson, of course, too. Yeah, both trials, they were like, have you heard of this? And they're like, yes. And they're like, do you have an opinion? Yes. Right. Could you be biased? Mm, no. But then still <laughs> it was like, okay, well, we just found out that you have O.J. Simpson memorabilia in your room, which right. happened to one of them. Right, right, yeah, you've seen, like, Airplane, like, 16 times, and it's your favorite movie or whatever. He's you in know? I think he's in Airplane. I've never seen Well, that. he's in one of those, you know. I, there's, like, Airplane 1, Airplane 2. I lost track yeah. of, like, how many Airplane movies there are, <laughs> but he's in at least one of those things. So. I don't even know that. That's interesting. I, I think it's Airplane. I don't know. I, I don't know. Okay, so... Uh, anything else on that, or should we move on to cruel and unusual punishment? That's it. Okay. The Eighth Amendment uh, is against cruel and unusual punishment, but it does not specify what cruel and unusual means. Mm -hmm. So what can we do with that? There's, I feel like there's different interpretations of it. Uh -huh. There's a Supreme Court case fairly recently, Okay. Actually, I think in the 80s or the 90s, where they, um, there was a 14-year-old who was committed to or sentenced to death. Okay. And the Supreme Court ruled that although 14-year-olds do enjoy the same uh, privileges and immunities as people who are of age of 18, okay. that killing a minor is cruel and unusual punishment mm. against the Amendment, and that's like a juvenile court. Okay. And I think it's it, it's kind of you know different. Okay. I'm personally against the death penalty. Uh -huh. I'm, I'm pro-life, and yeah. I feel like if you're pro-life one way, you have to be pro-life another okay. way. Yeah. And I used to be so for it. For the death penalty. For the death penalty, but then I had a conversation with one of my friends. I was a senior in high school. Okay. And uh, we talked about it, and he just kind of outlined why he believes it's unjust. Okay. And then at that time, I was like, you know, I've been doing a lot of legal reading. I'm going to look at okay. like, the history behind the Eighth Amendment. Yeah. And so cruel and unusual punishment loosely defined yeah. is like I'm not going to hold you on the ground and Chinese water torture you okay. until you give a confession. Okay. That's that's partly why you have the right to remain silent is okay. because if people torture you or they try to like right. cut off your fingernails with a or take your fingernails and put a nail underneath. Right, 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 right. Yeah. You know, that's just cruel, unusual. And right. It's just we could torture somebody into giving a confession. Exactly. So this is why we have a rule against cruel and unusual punishments mm -hmm. like that. I, I, I would argue that the police interrogating Michael Crow uh -huh. violated his 
And, and why? Because it's 10 hours long or it's why? It's 10 hours long. They denied him sleep. They okay. denied him food at one point. I think okay. at one point he did get up to use the restroom, but to my knowledge, that's the only time they let him leave. Oh, wow. Same with his friend. And, you know, he's a 14 year old kid. I yeah, he's 14. I could barely pay attention to my yeah. breakfast when I was 14. Yeah. Years old. Like, I was thinking about sports and, uh -huh. you know, Random things. Right, right, right. I can't right. imagine how mentally taxing that would be for a 14 year old. No kid. kidding. No yeah. kidding. Well, gosh, I can't do it. I you know, I can't. 14 hours is an awful lot. I can't okay. I so, so, okay, let me ask this. Um, gosh, do, let's just talk about the death penalty. So, I mean, at various points in this country, I think we've, we've hung people. I know that we were still hanging people in the 1920s. Uh, there's a movie that Clint Eastwood made called Changeling. He's not in it. He directs it, but it takes place in the 20s, and there's a hanging. Uh, then, of course, there was the electric chair, and then I believe there were firing squads. And if there were other ways that we executed people, I don't know what they are. But I, I think some of those today are considered cruel and unusual. Mm -hmm. And so, in a way, I kind of like... When I think cruel and unusual, I think, hey, those are adjectives. Mm -hmm. That's like some, saying somebody's very smart. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so what does that mean, very smart? Well, who knows? You know, it's kind of like relative to the situation. I think like maybe cruel and unusual means, well, for our era, mm -hmm. this is cruel and unusual. Mm -hmm. So maybe when hangings were commonplace, people are thinking, yeah, that guy got hung. Well, he, he killed six people and he stole some horses. What do you expect? Of course he's going to get hung. Well, see, that's, but that's but the, today yeah. we wouldn't do that because, well, I guess because we consider cruel and unusual in our era. Mm -hmm. I think you hit me right on the head when you okay. it evolves over time. Yeah. Now it's it's lethal injection and they just okay. go to sleep and it's yeah. painless. Yeah. And so you argue, though, is death a cruel and unusual punishment? Yeah, the death penalty could be... I mean, society could get to the point where we say, hey, death penalty is always cruel and unusual. I think that's, personally, that's my opinion. Okay. Because I'm under the assumption and the belief that my God is the only one that can create and take life. Okay. And I have no say in who should live or die. Mm -hmm. And I feel really bad about uh -huh. that I used to think like that. Uh -huh. And, you know, I've prayed about it before and everything, uh -huh. but I think that... You know, Frederick Nietzsche argues at one point for the death penalty. And he okay. says, you know, it's kind of like an eye for an eye thing. It's like if this person degrades life so much, yeah. then why should we value their life? Okay. Because this person essentially, like, dehumanizes them and takes away the most valuable thing that we humans have, which is our, our life, obviously. Yes. Um, and so I think that, you know, when you talk about the death penalty, it's it's really difficult, and it's it's one of those really hard conversations. Yeah, it is. It is. Nobody wants to talk about it because... Right. You know, like, there are some situations where, like, if, if someone comes up and punches your mom in the face and she falls down and dies <laughs> right. from a hemorrhage, right. you obviously want that person you to wanna, die. You want to kill that person. Exactly. Yeah. But it's like, you know, it, it's kind of like... Uh, but the rational part of our brain and also the conscience part of our, our soul wants to also step in and say, hey, we're better than that, yeah. you know? I would hope that in that situation, I would, again, be upset... Uh -huh. I would have a big enough heart to forgive. Yeah. I don't know. I, I hope. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not even going to really say too much about the death penalty other than when I used to read student papers at UMKC about the death penalty. I was against the death penalty, but for whatever reason, at least at the time, the people writing in favor of the death penalty always wrote better papers. Hmm. I am not sure why that was the case. So that's really all. I'm just going to leave that little mystery dangling out there. 
But, but how else can we discuss cruel and unusual? I mean, there's the death penalty, but how do we define cruel and unusual? Is it just our belief? Uh, like if this is the 1820s, we have one attitude. If it's the 1920s, we have another attitude. If it's the 2020s, we have a third attitude. Are we just kind of going with the community spirit? So there's, Is that how we come up with this? Or, or how do we come up with what we decide is cruel and unusual? I think it comes from a utilitarian perspective. Okay. Of, uh, the moral imperative, which is actually okay. on the maxim that you can at the same time will, that it should become a universal law. Okay. And so what that essentially means is only do the actions that you can see everybody else being like, okay, I'm cool with that. So okay. act only in the way and only do things that it's kind of like not treat people how you want to be treated, uh -huh. but if you can get every single person to drink the same kind of cup of, I mean, this is just a minor example, yeah. drink the same kind of coffee as okay. you, okay. then yeah, you can do it. If you, if you can get everybody in your position to say, Ted Bundy, I don't know if you've read up on yeah. this. Uh, well, I know he's a serial killer and I know he was charming and I know he has dark hair. And other than that, I don't know anything about Ted Bundy. So all his murders that he did. Okay. You know, if you can get every single person on earth to say, we want him to go free. Okay. Which not everyone's gonna do. Yeah, okay. Then you should do it. But if you say, okay, well, everyone on earth can act in the same way as you, uh -huh. then you can do it. And I think that's a way to interpret it. And so you okay. can say that, you know, if you take a person who accidentally ran over somebody and killed them on the road, okay, they took a life, yeah, albeit by accident, manslaughter, yeah, okay. vehicular manslaughter, yeah, and. It's like, can you get everybody to will the same thing as that person's husband? Oh. That they should die. Okay. And it's like, you and I just, you just said manslaughter, and that's not murder. No, right. it was an accident, and you shouldn't kill them for it. Yeah. And so I think that if you can get everybody to agree, okay. which is very hard, that this certain thing is cruel and unusual, okay. that's, to me, that's what defines cruel and unusual. Oh, okay, is, okay. Like, killing a minor. Do we, do we have to have everybody agree, or do we have to have a majority agree? I mean, the, I mean to my knowledge, I think it's everybody. It's okay. a universal will. Okay. And, I mean, like, obviously not like every single person, but it's like, I, I would say, like, you just have a majority. I think okay. that's a better way. Maybe a majority. Maybe, yeah. Like okay, so if 55% of the public supports, I don't know, 10 years in prison for certain kinds of theft, well, then it's going to be 10 years in prison for certain kinds of theft. I guess that's what the principle says. Okay. In theory. Okay. And that's why I think the theory has a lot of issues. Um, okay. You know, I think that, you know, this is why I love conversations like this is because uh -huh. it makes me think. And I yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Because, like, I don't know the answers to these. I, I don't either. I don't either know. I mean, I, I'm very strong on certain things, like freedom of speech. But on some of these other ones, I just simply haven't put in the time uh, to think them through or the reading to really have really precise answers for you. So it's good for me too. Yeah, you know, and like I just said, to, this is why freedom of speech is so important. Yeah. We're having this dialogue and we're speaking to each other about ideas that we've, I've never spoken to anyone about cruel and unusual punishment. Okay. I've never had anyone ask me that question before. That's before. also a great thing about podcasting in general, just one little tangent on that, is that you get to see people think in real time. Yeah. Yeah, which is great. Like Jordan B. Peterson does not edit podcasts and does a lot of them live and a lot of other people do them live. And part of it is, is just because of the sheer reality of the whole situation. People can enjoy watching me stumble or watching you stumble or watching you do something like a virtuoso. Uh, they, they get to, it, it's very real. It's, there's nothing fake about it. I feel like you it's know? so raw. Yeah. That's what makes it so interesting. That's what that's makes it so good. That's why I love so this good. long podcast. Yeah, me too. It's so raw. You're like, oh my God, 
Like you just said, thinking in real time. That's there was one on Joe Rogan where I think he had a five-hour podcast with two other people, and then he gets up and leaves the room for 10 minutes because he has to use the bathroom. So the two guests just continue all on their own. <laughs> oh, I think that was Brett Weinstein and... I think his wife, if I'm not mistaken, but yeah. Okay. It's it's crazy. It's probably happened more than once at this point. Okay. Um, Let's do one more from the original 10, which is my understanding of number nine is no one shall be denied his or her constitutional rights. Mm -hmm. And I think you kind of touched on that just a little bit earlier. Uh, Do you care to touch on it again just a little bit? Yeah, just kind of like the idea that, you know, you know, outlined in the Declaration is when a government becomes too tyrannical, it's the right of the people to abolish and administer a new government. Yes. And I think that when you talk about people having denied their rights, Uh people think that these things are not of our time. They're Mm -hmm. so far away that, oh, we don't need to worry about people infringing on our freedom of speech because it's so normalized. It's like, no. And that's something, again, I don't mean to, like, you know, uh, what's it? You know, try to advocate the book. Uh-huh. That's something I talk about, which okay. is like I give very modern examples. Like one of the cases was called Espinoza v. v. Okay. Montana, where they were denied money for scholarships because of their religious affiliation. Oh, and that was a complete violation of the free exercise clause of the First Amendment. Yeah, and I write about that. It's 2015. Okay, uh, I think I said that, but if not, there you okay. go. Okay, and um, it's it's like. I think I said that in my book as well, where it's like, you know, people think that these are very, you know, outdated ideas, but it's like, no, these are still needing to be No, we off. still have to worry about this yeah, stuff. Yeah. This stuff's not going to go away anytime soon. And because especially with how big the government's gotten recently, like yes. you just said, like, it's kind of scary to see how easily we could get our rights taken away. Yeah, I, I just am coming to the conclusion that there's plenty of institutions that once they get to a certain size... They really don't want anybody interfering with the institution. The number one goal of the institution seems to be to protect itself. So that means if people's rights are getting in the way, they're going to want to get rid of the rights, mm-hmm. essentially. So mm-hmm. I think that's what's so great about the Constitution is it basically says, no, you get your rights no matter what. Yep. It doesn't matter if it annoys this institution or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, were there any amendments uh, from 11 through 15 that you know about the top of your head that you really want to discuss? Because if not, I'm going to hop ahead straight to number 16, that's, the income tax. Okay, so all I'm going to say about the income tax is let's get rid of it. It yeah, came it in. Spo- and, it was supposed to be done with after. Is it World War Two or is it the World, World War One? World War One. Well, thinking. see, I, I don't know because they actually changed the constitution for it. So I think this country had an income tax twice. First was in the Civil War to pay for the Civil War, mm-hmm. and then of course both sides, the Confederacy and the North, started printing money like there was no tomorrow because that's what happens when you fight wars is the first thing they do is they tax the crap out of everybody to pay for the war. And then after that, then they start printing money because they ran out of money from taxation. So now when they print money, of course, that's a way of stealing from the whole public because let's say you've got 100,000 in the bank and I've got 100,000 in the bank. Well, let's say they just double the money supply because they're printing so much money. Now you basically cut my 100,000 in half. Now it's going to spend as if it were 50,000. And of course they did the same thing to you. So if they double the money supply, that's a way for the government to basically take 50% of all the wealth in the country for itself. I mean, that, we've seen that in Venezuela, too, with them yeah. and other money. Yeah. I think, like, $2 million of their dollars 
is like buy it's like a stick of gum. Yeah, not even. Yeah, they wiped everybody out. And uh, okay, lots of countries have had hyperinflation. Germany from like 1923 ish had hyperinflation. Might have been just a little bit before. They wiped everybody out. It took something like before you could buy like a loaf of bread with I don't know one or two marks. And then it was something like three billion marks to buy a loaf of bread. So I mean, this just absolutely wipes every grandma who'd saved up a hundred thousand marks. Okay, that's down to basically zero. Venezuela, same thing. With so that's a way for the government to literally take a hundred percent of the wealth of the entire country. Mm-hmm. If it's not nailed down, you know, it's gonna wind up in the government's hands essentially. Mm-hmm. So anyway, but that's printing money. So just kind of getting back to the income tax thing. So we had the income tax in the Civil War, and then I think they declared it unconstitutional and they got rid of it. So then 50 years later, then the government passed an income tax. And the original sales pitch was, we're only going to tax, I don't know, maybe about the top 7% of the country, and we are going to tax them at a rate of 3%. And so the rest of the population is not going to have to pay an income tax. So 93 plus percent of the population will not be subjected to this. We're only going to hit the rich people, just the Rockefellers and the Carnegies and those guys. We're not going to hit the other 99% or just however many, 93 plus percent. And and plus the rich guys are only going to have to pay well under 10%. Mm -hmm. That's how it was sold to people. Nowadays, of course, if you live in, I don't know, New York or California, you're probably paying over 50% of your income in taxes. By the time you add up federal, state, city, everything else, you're probably paying well over half of your income in taxes. Mm -hmm. I remember getting my first paycheck from, I worked at GNC when I was a freshman in college. Yeah. Because I played basketball Uh in high school and I wasn't able to have a job. And I I got a check and I was supposed to get like $800 because it was all money from like like stuff you sold, yeah. it ended up being like $300 or something. <laughs> I was so pissed. I was like, what is this? And my mom's like, yeah, welcome to the real world, buddy. It's taxation. I'm like, oh my God. I tell my little sister all the time, I'm like, taxation is theft. And she goes, I know. Like, uh-huh. before. I'm like, I saw a video of some 16-year-old kid who got a job, and he was like all happy, and everyone was <laughs> congratulating him. And uh, so then anyway, he opens up his first check, and he bursts into tears. <laughs> You know, and his yeah. family's trying to comfort him, you know. They start laughing, but yeah. like, it's okay, buddy. It's yeah, yeah. So just like uh, income tax, I know Social Security and uh-huh. taxes were also supposed to be uh, like temporary, I think. Okay. I, I don't know about temporary. I think that one was supposed to be permanent that because that one permanent. comes along 20 years after uh, the income tax. So, I mean, at that point, people are kind of used to getting taxed and such. So, I mean, the government starts to get really clever about this stuff because then I think in World War II, which is, you know, 30 years after it gets instituted, then they introduce withholding because the original idea was, is that, hey, you'll just pay your taxes once a year. So you'll get 100% of your check. Make sure you save some up for taxes so that you can send it in. Well, people weren't doing that. People were spending the whole check because, well, you know, hey, what if the kids have to eat? You know, what if we're not making very much money in the first place? You know, or what if we just don't budget very well? Mm-hmm. Or what if we felt like going out, so we went out? By the way, government, we don't have any money. So then the government's like, give us your money. And they're like, yeah, we don't have any money. So they introduced withholding during World War II. 
to basically help pay for the war because they're going to take the money before you even get it. And that's kind of scary to think that they can have that much power. That they can do that. Like today, we're getting taxed at a higher rate than what the people revolted and created a new yeah. country for. Yeah. I think they were at like literally like 3% yeah. taxation and we're at like, yeah. what, I mean, like 33%? Uh, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, there's brackets. You know, like the first time person will, for the feds, pay like 15%. And I think the highest bracket is. I don't even remember. It's in the 30s somewhere, you know. But then you have to add on state tax. You have to add on Medicare, Social Security, and a bunch of other stuff that I forgot. Three hundred dollar check does do a three hundred dollar. Yeah, yeah. Of course, that seems excessive even for the government. Maybe you got some back in a refund or something at I, the end of the year. I got, I got two checks. I actually put it on my Snapchat story. Okay. So if anyone's listening who okay. follows me on Snapchat, they okay. saw this. There was two checks. I got a state and I got a federal. My, okay. my, my state taxes were less than my federal. My federal was uh -huh. like $400 or uh -huh. something. And that was awesome. Okay. And then I was supposed to get like 950 Okay. my state. I ended up getting 15 Oh, my gosh. One five. Oh, my gosh. Nine five zero to one five. Hi. I, was, I was so mad. I looked at the list and it was like, here are all the things that it's getting taken up from Medicare. This, 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 right. this, this. Right, there's a long list. My taxes got taxed. Right. And I'm like, uh. how is it possible? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, whatever. Well, now and people might say, hey, listen, this sounds great. Nobody wants to pay any taxes. These two guys want to get rid of taxes. So how are we supposed to pay for all the stuff that government is doing? I don't know. I, I don't know how we're supposed to pay for it all. I will say in the 19th century, they had tariffs. Mm -hmm. So they would tax foreigners versus Americans. Uh, and that sounds pretty good to me yeah. because, hey, we're Americans. Then the other thing is, is government was a lot smaller. That also sounds pretty good to me personally. Mm -hmm. so, so I don't know. I don't know how we're supposed to pay for all this stuff. Maybe we shouldn't. I mean, we're also running up a, what, $30 trillion national debt, something, something like that. that. So it seems like no matter how much they tax us, they still want to borrow more mm -hmm. to spend even more on top of it. So it seems to me like maybe there's a spending problem. You know, it seems like they belong in an Alcoholics Anonymous <laughs> program for spending or something. So it's like that book you were talking about. Which book? The Alcoholics Anonymous book? Yeah, the AA, AA book. The AA book, just yeah. give it to them. Maybe it just like... take out the word alcohol and put in debt instead. <laughs> you know, DA. There actually is a debtors anonymous. There but is? That's, that's for individuals. Oh, yeah, for gosh. people whose spending is out of control. Well, it's, it's based on the same 12 steps. Yeah. So in, in theory, it works. Okay, so we don't like the income tax. I guess we established that. Number 17 was the direct election of senators. Uh, some people feel like, hey, that's a great idea. Other people to this day feel like, hey, that was a bad idea. It used to be done through your state legislature. You would vote for your legislature. They would select the senator. They sent them off to Washington. That got changed roughly in the 1910s. What are, are your thoughts on the 17th Amendment? Well, I think that at first it was, you know, having non-direct election of senators was a great idea because okay. they were, you know, you had people you were elected to the House of Representatives. Uh -huh. And in theory, they would, you know, act in the best interest of their constituents. Yeah. But then there started to be a recurring pattern of people not electing who people wanted. Mm. And so you'd have, you know, you know, guy A. And okay. he would get elected as a House of Representatives for the 3rd District of Kansas. Okay. And he would speak with his constituents and get popular opinion that he wanted person C uh -huh. to be the senator for Kansas. Okay. And that part. Yeah. And he would pick person B instead because he just liked him better. 
Okay. And so it's it's like I was saying earlier, you have all these like you know EPA, FBI. Uh huh. Um, you know, you're not electing these people to office, and so right. they're not able to represent your best interests. Okay. And so I think that with I love the Seventeenth Amendment. I'm okay. A big advocate for that. Okay. Because I can have one a bigger voice in my government. Okay. And two, I can know if you know whoever I'm voting for, I know what the person is all about when I vote for them. It's kind of okay. like for president. It's yeah. Like you know what you're all about. You know what you're for. buying into. Yeah. At least you should know. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And that's I think more people need to be informed on that personally. Yeah. Um, about what they're voting for and so I think that it's like I said like I don't think government was ever supposed to be this big I okay. think it was meant to be smaller than this and I'm uh -huh. a big advocate for smaller government I think that with the direct election of senators that furthers that idea mm -hmm. where it's like not only does it get more people involved but it gets more people looking into politics and yes. going like oh well this person is part of the Republican party but he is super anti blah 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 uh -huh. or this person is in the Democrat party I'm a Democrat but he is so for blah, 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 and I don't agree with that. Yeah. You know, it, it really gets your thinking, and it really, okay. I think it gets you more involved in your government. Okay. And it allows you to vote with a better conscience. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's, I think, a very good explanation of why the 17th Amendment should stay. So, and I have not read into that one very deeply, so I'm just going to move on to the 18th, which is prohibition. Ooh. So, uh, <laughs> prohibition didn't work. Uh, I think people don't know that it was part of a worldwide trend. They didn't. Well, I've got a list of countries from Finland to Russia, of all places, which Russia, it's really interesting because I also have a graph of which countries drink the most. And uh, the United States is middle of the pack. Strange. People people may not, I know every time I say that to somebody in the United States, but I've seen multiple graphs where you can just look it up on a search engine, like which countries drink the most, and then look for a map of the world. And uh, the United States is middle of the pack. They have, they have scale one to 13. And you know, a bunch of the Middle Eastern countries where they're Muslim, they don't believe in drinking, those are like a one or a two, usually a one, like they don't drink. Uh, but then you come to a bunch of other countries, they're about a seven, that's the United States, middle of the pack. Mm -hmm. And then of course the former Soviet Union was a 13 because things suck, you know, there. And so the only thing they had to do was drink, yeah. you know. So they drank an awful lot. Mm -hmm. But so anyway, so prohibition was part of this worldwide movement. Uh, multiple countries, I, I have a list of, I don't know, seven or eight countries, they all tried it. Even the Soviet Union so tried it. other countries tried it, but I didn't know Soviet Union tried it. Well, they didn't try it for very long. They, they kind of gave up on that very fast. I think they got overwhelmed by the population of drinkers there. That was little like... withdrawal symptoms going on. Yeah, a little <laughs> withdrawal symptoms going on. But gosh, yeah, I think it went for five years from maybe 1917 to 1922. So a lot of countries passed it before we did. We passed it in like 1919, I think. And then it goes into effect in January of 1920. And then it's there for 13 years. And Ken Burns did a documentary where he said Americans really tried to do prohibition honestly for roughly about nine months. And then after that, they were like a dieter who just caves in, you know? And so then it was like 12 years of great Gatsby, basically. The speakeasies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, bootleggers, uh, people running from the cops in souped up automobiles, uh, people making like uh, liquor in the backwoods. My, my dad is old enough that he was, a, he was not alive during Prohibition. He was born in 1935, but he has plenty of stories about older relatives, you know, who are running from the cops, you know, in various vehicles and, and you know, people making bootleg liquor and uh, 
I guess drinking it and then throwing up on the side of the car and taking the paint off of the car. <laughs> Some of that bootleg liquor was not good to drink. I've heard of one called uh, called Swish. Swish. There's a there's a show called Trailer Park Boys. And okay. It's, it's like it's exactly what it sounds like. It's kind of. I like, need to get a television. It's on Netflix actually. Okay. Netflix. Okay. Um, and uh, it's about these guys who live in a trailer park. It okay. Was the first show, I think it was like the early '90s or the late okay. '90s, to be like the office. Okay. Thing, like, oh, I'm talking to the camera. Oh, okay. And it's about, you know, they're, they're trying to, like, you know, grow illegal plants. Okay. All the time and, like, okay. make money so that they can okay. do these elaborate schemes and then they end okay. up going to prison every, like, end of season. That's, okay. like, the shtick. <laughs> and there's, okay. there's one where they're trying to make alcohol because uh, they can't drink or something. And they take a barrel of, like, old beer and they just pour a bunch of water in okay. it. And apparently it's a real thing. A okay. Swish where you get, it gets you super drunk, I guess. Okay. I don't, okay. I don't, I don't drink. Okay. But... Just it's just fun. like high octane alcohol, exactly. basically, is what it is. Yeah, okay, he, high proof. Yeah, yeah. He, he ends up throwing up on one of them, and then he like takes off the logo that's on his shirt. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Listen, if if you're basically drinking hydrochloric acid and you're taking the paint off of people's cars and the logos off their shirts, I don't know. You might want to reconsider some of your life choices. That's all I have to say. Maybe. Okay. So, all right. So I here's. So what do you think about prohibition? I think we've just told about five stories about why it doesn't work. Yeah, pretty much we kind of covered it without even covering it. Yeah, without even just story-wise. So then what do we make in general of government trying to have prohibitions against things that appear to be inevitable? See, here's, I'm a mixed yeah. mind on this, and let me just tell you my mixed mind, and then, then you take it from here because you've done the legal reading and I have not. Okay. My mixed mind is this. There's a lot of stuff that basically I don't want to do, and I don't want other people to do them either because I'm a health and fitness nut. And I think, hey, if you drink to excess like this or if you smoke these certain substances, you're not going to live as long, and you're going to cause damage to your body, and you're going to cause even more damage to your brain. And that bothers me. So like the health nut part of me and then the Christian part of me that believes, hey, our bodies are temples. It's against all that stuff. Yeah. But then I have a libertarian streak that, and maybe a streak from psychology that says, we've had a very hard time making this stuff illegal. Like people are like, oh, you know, we should make the alcohol illegal. And now you can buy it in grocery stores. You can buy it everywhere. Mm -hmm. so, so I'm just kind of like, it seems futile. You know, what we're trying to do. I've kind of come to that conclusion on my own, I think. Okay. You said it really well. Okay. Which is kind of, the government sucks at everything. Yeah. They're regulating everything. Yeah. Like, I used to be so against, like, weed smoking. Okay. I don't smoke weed. I've never smoked uh -huh. weed. I will never uh -huh. smoke weed. Uh-huh. But if someone wants to go, and if we make it legal for them, like, alcohol, uh -huh. just don't drive. Don't uh -huh. make it someone else's problem. Like, uh -huh. what do I care? Uh-huh. Like, and, and I've, I've been reprimanded for that. Because okay. they're like, oh, well, you didn't understand it's a gateway drug that leads to more, and it's like, uh -huh. that's not my problem. If they want uh -huh. to do it, they, and they are taking the risk. Alcohol is a mm -hmm. gateway. I, I think that. Um, yeah. You know, but again, like, I don't judge people who smoke or drink or do anything. Uh -huh. I just don't want to partake in it. Okay. So, but from, I guess, a legal or societal standpoint, are we basically saying, like, the 18th Amendment is foolish? Banning, banning would, alcohol. Yeah, we would, must have because the 21st Amendment got rid of it. Yeah, I mean, I would say I just think it's kind of stupid because you're, you're I mean, like, say what you want. Uh -huh. I'm, I'm under the idea that I don't think government should take away anything like that uh -huh. because it's everyone's free choice to do what they uh -huh. want. Yeah. Um, 
as long as you're not hurting another person, basically. Yeah. 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 You know, I've, I've said this before, but it's like, do what you want, just don't harm my life, my liberty, or my property. Right. Just leave me alone. Okay. I don't care what you. Okay, do that sounds super life. libertarian. I'm yeah, kind of okay. more towards that. Gotcha. It's just like, I don't care what you do, just don't make it my property. Okay. 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 So. Maybe we should just let that one go at that point. Let's hop ahead to the 22nd because I think it's very interesting and that that one came about in roughly, I think, 1952. Mm -hmm. And it limits the president to two terms Mm -hmm. or less than 10 years. Mm -hmm. So like, let's say the vice president comes into office in the last year of a term. Mm -hmm. So he could serve a year and then he could get elected to two more terms. So he could be in there for nine plus years, but he can't be in there for longer than 10. So that's the amendment. Yeah. And I think the reason it came about was because of Franklin Roosevelt. You're right. You know, so, so, okay. So what do you think about this amendment? Some people would like to get rid of it. Other people think that it's great. What are your thoughts? You know, I, I kind of with the direct election of senators, Uh kind of like term, I, side note, term limits for senators and house members also Uh needs to be a thing. Okay. That should be the 28th amendment in my opinion. Okay. Um, but you know, I as stupid as this sounds, bear with me. Yeah, you okay. Seen the Star Wars movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know yeah. who Count Dooku is? I vaguely remember. No, I don't remember. It's, uh, Which one was he? Uh, like one, two, and three. The the, the the prequel trilogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the bad guy, I think, in the second and the third. He's okay. Like a minute. Okay. Um, and he's got he's got the guy with the really low voice. Okay. And I forget his name, but Sir something British. Okay. Um, but he was a former Jedi. Okay. He was trained under Yoda, okay. and he turned to the dark side. Okay. Everybody listening, bear with me as well, because yeah. that's my point. People asked him, they are like, why are you against the Jedi Order? Okay. And, you know, people don't know this. Yoda is canonically like 800 years old. Right, right, right. His direct quote is, the, the problem with the Jedi Order is people like Yoda and Yoda specifically. No one can be in that place of power for that long mm. without becoming complacent at best or corrupt at worst. Oh, and interesting. so when you apply that to government, I, again, as stupid as it sounds, yeah. it makes sense. If you have, you know, let's say you have Ronald Reagan uh-huh. in office for uh-huh. 10 terms, even though right. Trump would have lasted 10 terms. Right. You know, let's say a young Ronald Reagan at 40 gets in, uh-huh. he, gets, he stays in president. Until so he's 80. Yeah, he can essentially mold and shape the government how he wants to right. shape the government. Right. And I think I've, I've spoken about this in a different, actually, school paper I wrote. Okay. Um, but when you are able to change how the system works, it's like uh-huh. Vladimir Putin. You know, it, it doesn't right. become a government anymore. Right. It becomes a monarchy or a dictatorship right. or right. authoritarianship. Yeah. It's one person ruling all instead of three separate checks of new people every so many years except for the Supreme Court because they need to act in the direct interests of okay. people. And I think not only does that help for the president to be like, okay, well, you know, he's going to do something that has been, like, you know, for example, uh, civil rights. Yeah. That was very unpopular for a long time. But uh-huh. then I forget what president came in. Uh, well, in okay, Lyndon Johnson in 1964 passes the civil rights legislation. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless you're talking about the original Civil Rights Act of 1866, right after the Civil War. Okay, so we're 1964. Yeah, 1964. 1964, okay. Yeah, it's like that was a very unpopular thing, but because that started to get, gain more traction as a movement, uh-huh. the president at the time was able to say, okay, like I am for lack of a better term, like I'm with it with the youngins uh-huh. and I'm able to know this is what they want. I'm yeah. going to run on that and I'm going to do that because not only do I think it's morally right, but I think it's what the people want. Yeah. And that's what the president is. Isn't he? Okay. He's acting in the best interests of the people. Okay. But if he's in there forever, then he can 
ignore the people. He can say, screw you guys, like, I don't, I don't want, you know, this law about guns. Like, uh -huh. I'm going to ban all guns. Just He'll like, do what he feels like doing. Exactly. If they're in there for 40 years. Exactly. And maybe they're impossible to get out. Maybe they game the system in their favor, and so then they just, they wind up like Putin. That's what, yeah, he, he left office and then made things that I, it was like he didn't have to leave, and then he came back. And he's, yeah. He just keeps extending. It. Yeah. Like, okay, that's because I looked it up at one point, and I think Putin was originally limited to two terms or something, mm -hmm. which was eight years, but then he just shifted over to another job, which had all the exact same responsibilities. He changed his job title. Yeah. You know, and so, I mean, I think he was supposed to be done in 2007, mm -hmm. and he's still there, you know, so... Plus, I think he was kind of running the show when Yeltsin was in charge, starting way back in 92. So, I mean, Putin's basically owned that country yeah. since 1992. That's kind of scary. So, that's, well, that's like the yeah. of the Soviet Union. Yeah. 91. 91 Christmas. So, basically, 92. So, then Putin, like, in, well, Yeltsin is running the show, except Yeltsin is... I don't know. He's kind of a drunk. That's another story. I mean, if you look up pictures with a search engine, just type in Yeltsin drunk. There's plenty of pictures where he's kind of blitzed. So, but he did some very good things for that country originally. In 1991, he stood against the tanks that were out in the streets and promoted freedom. And I think things in Russia were actually pretty good compared to later in terms of freedom. The 1990s was a pretty good stretch. And then Putin takes over full throttle and then it's a little less free, you know, under Putin, essentially. So, okay, so so term limits are good because basically you just think people get corrupt in there over time. That, and then they need to know the interests of the people at the time better. That's just my opinion. Yeah. Well, I suppose if you're in there for 12 years, even if your heart is in the right place, well, maybe you forgot where you came from, though. That could be the problem, even if your heart is still in the right place. I think so. Okay. Okay, that's fair. Uh, let's hop ahead to the 26th Amendment. And that was the one that gave 18-year-olds the right to vote. Mm -hmm. And I believe that came about in the mid-60s, because before you had to be 21 years old. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I guess if we were having this conversation in 1945, 18-year-olds would not have the right to vote. 19, 20 would not have the right to vote. So what do you think? Do you think that that's good, that now 18-year-olds can have the right to vote? I mean... Yes and no. Okay. I, I think that, you know, I, I'm obviously 21, so it's uh -huh. like I'm going to want to say okay. yes because, uh -huh. you know, I voted in the last election. I think that... Uh -huh. Oh, I voted the first chance I could. Yeah, me too. I thought you I was like, know? Oh, It's so like, good. this is so great. I'm determining the fate of the West. And then you find out you're one of 380 right. million I'm like, votes. Like, yeah, people are always like, we should get more people to vote. And I'm like, no, we should have less people vote. Just me. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> Just, Just kidding. kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. I, uh... Yeah, voting in that election was really cool because I was okay. like, you know, but it was, uh, you know, I think that, I think the whole point of it was, first of all, I don't know why they limited Why they changed it? 21 to 18. Oh, well, because originally 21 was kind of the age of adulthood yeah, that's in the United I States. Was, I, was like, I think that's why. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, you're of sound mind uh -huh. to know what you were voting uh -huh. for. And I mean, if, I, if it was up to me, I think voting should be even later in life okay because i don't think at 18 years old okay. most 18 year olds are either living with their parents or in uh -huh. college for the first year uh -huh. and i don't think they really know about anything other okay. than what they don't even really care about anything other than what they're going to eat for dinner that night uh -huh. and the homework that their teacher was uh -huh. i mean some of them are really into it there's, and there's they know true. so much there was a kid you know who went to high school but then there's a whole bunch that don't care you're right yeah. yeah. Some people just go vote because their parents tell them. 
a yeah. label for this person. Yeah, the parents get two votes that way. You know, three or four, depending yeah, on the exactly. Kids, yeah, 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 quadruplets. Oh my gosh. You know, words in that man. And his bank account. <laughs> right, no kidding. Okay, so so you're a mixed minds about 18 year olds voting. I don't really have an opinion on it. Okay. Because, you know, I I feel like there's people who are smarter than I who can speak to it better and understand, or uh-huh. particularly, okay, well, here's why 18 yeah. year olds are allowed to vote. Here's why yeah. I don't think the voting age should be lowered. Like okay. Said, if anything, I would have any opinion it should be raised okay back to 21. i'll take i'll take a swing at why 18 year olds should be allowed to vote okay uh here's what it is okay so if we have a draft 18 year olds can go to war Hmm. uh if we don't have a draft uh both boys and girls who are technically men and women because they are 18 they can go to war they can die in the service of our country potentially they can do practically everything else that our society lets 18-year-olds do. They can get married. They can move away from co- home. They are uh, independent. They can pay their own taxes. Uh, they can go and get a job. If their parents live in Kansas, they can move to Idaho or Alaska or California. They can, they can pretty much do almost anything that anybody else can do. They can see the movies they want to see. They don't have to worry about R ratings. They can smoke cigarettes. Basically, I think the only two things they can't do is they can't rent a car, and they can't drink alcohol. Or buy a gun. Okay. Oh, I don't know what... What are the rules on that? I don't even know. most states, I think there are some states that, like, have less and more restrictions, but most states, 18, you can buy a, uh, like, shotgun. Okay. Or a rifle, maybe. A rifle, yeah. I mean, most, like... Armalite rifles, uh-huh. like ARs, okay. are 21, handguns okay. are 21, to, to concealed carry in public or you know, open carry in public is 21, okay. to have that license is 21. So that, I was going to ask okay. you, like, what, what do you think should be done with you know, gun rights then? Or like, or oh, I don't, do you think that should also be lower, or do you, do you think everything should meet in the middle of 21? I don't know. I honestly don't know. I, I mean, I, I just would have to really kind of think that through. I feel like if I said anything now, I just, I don't have an intuition that's telling me what to do that's in this exactly. scenario. I, I guess my feeling is, is um, I, I lean toward giving things to, to 18-year-olds if we're going to draft them. You're right. If you're going to draft people and if you're going to let people get married at that age and if they can be independent and file their own taxes then I'm predisposed to give them everything else that would come with society uh, unless somebody gives me a very good reason why we shouldn't. Generally speaking in life, I I guess I wind up landing on the side of freedom uh, for people until I'm proven wrong. If I'm proven wrong, then I start thinking, oh, okay, maybe there should be like a law or a restriction, but most of the time I just land on the side of freedom. I'm just predisposed that way. Well, it's good that you're able to like listen. And yeah. like, if I'm going, I'm going to stay here, but if there's an argument that is you know, convincing enough, uh-huh. it, it shows me the wrong of my ways, like, I'll change. I respect that a lot, actually. Thank it's you. Kind of like, Thank you. Yeah, but, but from my point of view, being my age, okay, then I, I just think, okay, well, eventually, if I'm lucky, I'm going to be 90 years old. And uh, in theory, at that point, nobody should be able to tell me anything because I've lived so long. I should have like these rigid opinions, right? I mean, I should, I should have read enough books, had enough life experience, whatever, that nobody can tell me anything. Mm-hmm. That sounds awful to me. 
I, I, I want like the 10 year olds or the five year olds to like the relatives to come over and play in the yard and I want to be surprised. Mm -hmm. I want to be surprised by people of all age brackets. I, I don't want to be a know-it-all, so. I like that a lot actually, I'm sorry, I'm just listening. Like, yeah. I, I really like that a lot. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. I just don't want to be bored. I feel mm -hmm. that if I think I know it all when I'm 85 years old or 95 years old, then I'm going to be really bored. But if, mm -hmm. but if I'm open to surprise, because people are filled with surprises all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, you surprised me enormously when you came in and you said, this is the long list of books that I've read. And, and then also to this, this absolute love and passion you've developed for the law. And then the fact that you wrote that beautiful opening segment, which I'm going to encourage everybody to listen to again when they finish listening to this podcast. It, it's just so good. So, I mean, this was a surprise for me and it was just great, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and I, and I get surprised by people all the time. I think you have to be open to being surprised though. You know, if you're not open to being surprised, you're probably not, I'm looking for it. Mm -hmm. If you're not looking for it, maybe you won't see it. So, but that's just a little side note. Yeah. Okay, so we've kind of gone through the amendments. Then I think maybe the last set of questions I'd like to ask is, are there any rights that you think we should be adding? Like extra amendments to the Constitution? With, I don't want to get political. Okay. Everything going on with COVID. Okay. I think medical privacy needs to be more like pushed. Yes. For lack of a better term. Yes. Um, I, not, I agree. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not against the vaccine. Like, I uh -huh. actively encourage people. I, I uh -huh. have not gotten the vaccine. Uh -huh. I'm planning on getting it. Uh -huh. I'm just, you know, getting my ducks in order before I do so. Uh -huh. um, I'm not going to hate people who get it. I'm not going to uh -huh. hate people who don't get it. Uh -huh. You know, we're at the point now where it's like, if you don't want to get it, like, and, and you get sick from COVID, that's on you. Like, you chose not to get it. Mm -hmm. like, you know, if I get sick from COVID because I haven't gotten it, uh -huh. that's on me. It's not uh -huh. on anybody else. It's like, oh, they can't blame so-and-so for infecting me because I didn't, you know, prepare myself properly. I think that, you know, California just shot down a bill of mandating the vaccine, and I okay. think that was a good thing because okay. um, I had a conversation with someone recently where he was like, um, well, I had a conversation with my girlfriend, and then I had a conversation with one of my friends at school, okay. where they both said the same thing, where it's like, you know, I'm for the vaccine, but uh -huh. I'm not for mandating it. Right. I think that's a total, total infringement on people's medical yeah. Because it's like when you walk into like a gas station, if you are not wearing a mask and you say you can't because you have a medical you know, uh -huh. exemption, they can't ask you what's your medical exemption, that's your medical privacy. Right, with HIPAA. everything going on. HIPAA, yeah. Exemption. Yeah. yeah. With everything going on, it's kind of becoming normalized to talk about your privacy or talk about something that should be private. Mm. Yeah, because it's medical, so it should be private. Mm -hmm. like, okay. I don't want people knowing my family's or my girlfriend's or my medical stuff information yeah that's our information that's right like, it, it's a personal thing and like you know like i said i'm not going to hate people who have differing opinions from me i uh -huh. actively encourage people to talk to me and i actively try to talk to people and i think that with that and then with other issues of i mean we touched upon it a little bit but like yeah property uh -huh. like people kind of too lax with that, I would say. Yeah, that like a little too lax on private property. Mm -hmm. And your body should be your ultimate private property. Exactly. It's kind of what I'm hearing here. Mm -hmm. Well, somebody said a long time ago, I wish I remember who, that we really should have some sort of a medical privacy amendment to the Constitution because otherwise we could end up with a medical dictatorship someday where, okay, you are supposed to get 
all of these various treatments because we say you're supposed to get all of these treatments. Mm -hmm. um, again, I'm predisposed toward freedom yep. until proven otherwise. And so I guess other people might be predisposed more towards safety. Mm -hmm. I like the Benjamin Franklin quote where he said, people who exchange liberty for safety are going to find out that they don't have either one. They don't deserve either. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's very important. Um, so I'm probably making some people very mad when I say this, but okay, I guess people will just have to prove me wrong. I'm just predisposed toward freedom on things. And, and also the privacy thing, this is important because I don't know, let's say somebody has uh, an ailment or two or they've got a condition or two, and let's say they apply for, I don't know, a job as a librarian or a cop or a firefighter or one of the village people, something, you know, and uh, now we're going to make their medical records public so that everybody gets to know about them. This bothers the heck out of me because, you know, a boss could say, well, you know, we can't have you working here because you've got such and such condition. But what if there's... 500 other people with that condition across the United States who have similar jobs and they're performing it just fine. Exactly. The minute you open things up like that, you're giving bosses and other people an excuse to maybe come up with a reason to not hire this person or that person. That makes a lot of sense. I like that. So that bothers me. I just feel like the discriminatory aspect is gigantic. I feel like the loss of privacy well, I think it creates problems because I, I hate to say this, it's human nature. We, we shouldn't do this, but I think people do. People judge other people for their medical conditions. You know, like a good example would be President John F. Kennedy. If people knew how sick he was when he was elected, the man had Addison's disease. Uh, he had two doctors. Uh, this is according to one of the documentaries I saw. Both doctors were prescribing roughly six medications, but the two doctors didn't know about each other. So the guy's on about 12 different medications. Uh, he had a very, very bad back. It was injured in the war. He had a back surgery that nearly could have killed him, but he came out of it alive before he was president, roughly three, four years before he was president. So between the bad back, the Addison's disease, the 12 medications, and I think a few other things, he knew that he was fragile. In fact, he had told people he never thought he was going to live to be 50. He was elected when he was 43. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this is part of the explanation why he lived so fast with so many different things in life because he maybe didn't think that he was going to be around. Mm -hmm. So now I, I think in the case of the president, it is helpful if we know the president's health because that's different because that's a big public job. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to know somebody in a position like that's health. So I guess I'm making a contradiction in my opinion, in this, I, I don't think the right to medical privacy should be like 100%. Well, I, yeah, I think but I, but I think for the average Joe, uh -huh. you know, and the average Susan, I, I think it's none of our business. Well, you can all, I mean, pick up on things too. Like when people are talking and they obviously, like you talk to an old man who has Alzheimer's, you can yeah. tell he has Alzheimer's, yeah. he's telling you he's a thousand years old. Yeah. And he met Jesus yesterday. Yeah. It's like, you know, I'm not making And we're like, life. you're not a day over 900. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not make, trying to make light of anyone right. with Alzheimer's. I'm just, right. you know, a little hyperbole on my end. But, yeah. Um, you know, like, you know, you, you can tell. Yeah. You don't have to go in deep, but you can be like, I don't think he's in the greatest state of mind. He's been coughing up blood. He's been doing these things. Like, I don't need to know specifics, but I know something's not right. That's know? right. And, I mean, that's where I think that comes in. And I think that, you know, again, like I said, just, 
I don't want people to know what goes on in my life. Like I have medical conditions. I have mm -hmm. things. I know that people I know and I love have medical things and right. medical things that they have promised them I will not tell another soul because that's their business and they felt confident enough to tell me and it's not my business to tell people and it's not their business to tell people my medical conditions. It's personal. And, and it's, I, I'm very open about you know the medical conditions I have. Like I have anxiety. And okay. that's okay, I take medication for it. Mm -hmm. And you know, I'm not embarrassed by that, but at first I didn't want anybody to know because it's embarrassing when you Well, I, I feel like anytime a person gets sick, anytime I've been sick, you sort of want to get a grip on what your own situation is before you broadcast it to Western civilization. Yeah. You know, or as the kids in the 90s say, before you put it on blast, you know, <laughs> and just blast it all out there among everybody, you know. Yeah. So I miss the old slang. Me too. So, okay. So, um, any other amendments or anything like that that we should add? That We talked about medical. Should there be anything done? I don't know. With the currency or just, just anything else? Anything else that comes to mind? Not really. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, my last question, I guess my catch-all question is, is there anything we should have discussed that we did not? Or do you have any books or resources that you would recommend for others? Um, I just finished reading Crime and Punishment by Fyodor Dostoevsky. I love that book. Amazing book. It's like, I guess it's considered the first, like, uh, mystery novel, mystery crime thriller. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it was really good. Amazing book. It was like 500 pages, but I like got through it in like two weeks. Because it's so good. I couldn't put it down. It's so good. Um, I read that when I was 20, so that was a long time ago. I've, I've always wanted to reread that book. It's always amazing. It's, I get, I said this to my brother. Um, you know, to me, that rivals my other favorite fiction book, which is the Monte Cristo. Book. Oh yeah, that that rivals that to me just because it's so well written, and there's parts in the book where I'm like, why is he talking about this? Like, this has no thing to do with the murder or anything. Uh -huh. And then it's like, oh my god, like ten chapters later, part six, it all it comes into play. It all comes into play with Raskolnikov and how he tells Sonia that he did the murder, and it's just like yeah. amazing how yeah. Dostoevsky ties it all together and I'm, I'm starting notes from the underground okay recently, so I'm really excited you also let me know how that is I read Karamazov the last one that he wrote mm -hmm. but I didn't read notes from the underground I also read The Gambler I've heard the I've never read The Gambler but I've heard it's really good okay here's just a well I'll actually I'm going to describe plots here just for people because these books are so good yeah. uh, Crime and Punishment is about a poor law student named Raskolnikov who is thinking, you know, if I just had some money, I could go back to law school, and then I could do good work for society. And hey, there's this old lady down the street, and she's a cruel, heartless person, and she's wealthy, and she uses her money to hurt people. She doesn't do a good thing for anybody. So, you know, if I just went over to her house and killed her with an ax, I could steal her money, and then I could go back to law school, and I could do some good for the world. And he also is kind of being influenced by these ideas of atheism that are out there in the culture. So he thinks, well, yeah, I'm doing a good thing. So if I could just get rid of, you know, old-fashioned morality, I could go out there and I could do a good thing. All I have to do is kill this horrible old woman who doesn't deserve to live. And, uh, you know, if I really believe in what, my, what I'm saying, my hand will not shake. Of course, when he gets into the situation, his hand is shaking all over the place. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't want to say too much more, but things go horribly, horribly wrong. It's, it's amazing because, oh, I forgot what I was going to say, but it was 
he he just goes. That's what I was going to say. You 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 don't get this with a lot of characters, but with Raskolnikov, you really see his inner dialogue. Yes. You know, and, and it's kind of hard to read when you first read it because he's like, "What is this? Oh my gosh! What about this? What about this? What about this?" And you're like, "What is going on?" But then as the book progresses, you're like, "Okay, I kind of get where he's coming from." Yes. You can kind of like make it out of your mind where he's like looking this way when he says this word or he's thinking this when he says this phrase. It comes clear. It comes clear, and yeah, and it takes him getting used to for anyone yeah. to read it. Yeah. Um, but it definitely is just, it's, it's crazy because like, you know, when he finally, I don't want spoiler. Yeah, no, no spoilers, no, no spoilers. spoilers. Okay. Yeah. When You'll have to read it for yourself, people. You're right. I can't say what happens, but when at the end, it's, it's just like this great burden lifted off of Yes. And, you know, it's just... It's very good. I'm trying to put it into words. I'm just going to leave it at this. Yeah. Read it for yourself. Let me... I guess not let me know, but let's take a note. How you like it. It's an amazing book. I love it. There's a reason it's considered to be one of the greatest novels of all time by one of the greatest novelists of all time. Uh, The 19th century Russians are considered by many to be the greatest novelist period Mm -hmm. in human history. And when people say that, they're thinking primarily of Tolstoy, who wrote Anna Karenina and War and Peace and Death by Vanilla to many others. And they're thinking of Dostoevsky, who wrote The Idiot, The Possessed, Notes from the Underground, The Gambler, Karamazov, and Crime and Punishment. And Dostoevsky is considered, actually so is Tolstoy, a master of human psychology. Mm -hmm. You will recognize these characters. With Tolstoy, they're kind of like ordinary people, but you will recognize them. And with Dostoevsky, it's always somebody who's an extremist Mm -hmm. of some kind. You know, like they're either political or religious extremists, or they're psychos. There's just, they're way out there on the fringe. But, but chances are you've met somebody like that. I read an article recently, like right before I started Crime and Punishment, where it was like, when you're reading this book, try to put yourself in Raskolnikov's position. Yes. And like, I mean, I also d- did that with ordinary men. Like I okay. Like, you know, I think it's healthy to be like, okay, what would I do in this situation? That's right. Same with Crime and Punishment. I'm like, I was, last night when I finished the book, when he was telling Sonia what had happened, I was like, I, I stopped for a second. I'm not kidding when I say this. My heart was beating super fast. Oh, wow. Because he was about to tell her. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, my God, why am I so nervous right now? This is so cool. <laughs> that's, that's how I know it was, like, pro- probably my new favorite book. Yeah. I've never had that reaction in yeah. another book of, of just actively getting anxious. Heart palpitations from yes. a book. Wow. That's really good. Well, I think that's the perfect note to end things on. And read this has just been absolutely fantastic as ever. And I, I hope we will do another podcast again soon. For sure. Okay. Thank you, Reed. Thank you again for listening to Seemingly Ordinary. The biggest favor that you could possibly do for me would be for you to share this episode far and wide. 